for a bit. Hey, Chugger, what are you doing? So, uh, I'm making some chicken nuggets uh, because, yeah, I quite like chicken nuggets, I'm going to be honest. I know they're not the most healthy thing in the world, but we all, we, we all need something every now and again, right? <laughs> yeah, I've been, I kind of had a long night. I had to wake up um, uh, like 2 a.m. or something to run to the hospital to go put a tube in a guy. <laughs> Oh, okay. I was about to say is everything all right. As long as it's, you know your family's all right, that's all the matters. Oh no, they're you know it's just, it's just a hospital thing. Um, good work. Thing. Did you get that band to listen to? Mm, a little bit, yeah. It's kind of like a. It's, I guess it's kind of like not. It's a mixture of like kind of like a a stadium band and like the death metal or something like <laughs> something. Only like some that. of their songs, yeah, yeah. So if you go to the, like their earlier songs and everything, it's it, the sound changes every album. And okay. it's apparently so someone I know, a friend of mine, she was saying how it's all to do with sleep worship. And it's not actually obviously worshiping sheep, sheep, sleep. It's it's just sleep worship. You're, it's like the, the idea is like the song comes from you. Like, yeah, worshiping like gods and devils while you sleep or just just the, the or what? I think it's just the sensation of sleeping. Okay. Like the actual the dream state and everything like that, and I, they're, they're very poetic with their uh, lyrics. To be fair, so uh, yeah. Okay, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Hopefully, uh, everyone got their little um, like crypto bags packed. Um, if you haven't noticed, like the simple way to to do crypto stuff is so if like buy every Bitcoin, fucking dip. Yeah, Bitcoin goes down about one percent or 2% or something like that. Pretty much everything else, like if you go down the market cap size, like let's say, you know, a chain link at 10 billion market cap or like whatever, you have your 400 million market cap and you have your 100 million and you go all the way down. Pretty much what happens is for the most part, um, the smaller the market cap is, the bigger percentage drop you get for the exact same amount of drop of BTC. So it's kind of like the alts are basically a leveraged bet on BTC. So for example, if you buy at the bottom, very bottom of the market and you pick up some altcoin, that's pretty decent. Then if BTC goes up like a 10x from the bottom, uh, then you might have the altcoin go up like, I don't know, 100x from the bottom or something like that, or 20 or whatever. It's much bigger multiples. On the other hand, if you have a dip, you get a very large dip. So what do you have to do? Uh, all you really have to do is you leave some cash aside and pretty much you pick up anytime BTC drops substantial enough, then you wait for Alton things to drop at least like, I don't know, 20% or so, which is pretty easy to, to 
achieve and you grab yourself some. So it's like really, really easy to um, add things. And mathematically, this is all it really is. It's just proportionality uh, based on market cap. And there's also popularity. So if you if something's more popular for some reason, then it tends to catch more capital on those dips um, compared to that's, that which is not as popular, of course. Um, so the upside is much better. But it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, practically everything drops to the downside when the general market drops. And then you just simply grab the thing that you think is going to give you the best um, uh, return ratio or whatever off the bottom. But it's that simple. Zin, go ahead. You're saying something. Um, I was wondering yesterday if you could educate us, or maybe I'm the only person who doesn't know, but mm -hmm. you said a long time ago, you said that crypto, like Bitcoin and ETH especially, I think you mentioned both of them would be, I think what you said is dissolved by AI, like they would become. No, no, no. Uh, the cryptography used for Bitcoin today um could be essentially hacked for lack of a better term um decoded um using uh quantum computing not so much ai and what what would that entail like can you because i have zero idea what you're talking about what does that mean what it, what it means is if like um you know if someone knows your wallet address and you have quantum computing you can theoretically deduce something like a seed phrase from it, for example, or so like um, so a lot of the original Bitcoin wallets, like Satoshi's wallets and stuff are known. And therefore, like those wallets are no longer secure, essentially. If that makes sense. Oh, I was expecting. So, so any so any known address essentially could be broken and the funds taken from it which makes the system essentially fundamentally useless. But this is not unique only to crypto. It's unique to like the passwords and shit you use on a regular basis for websites and stuff too. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, so with any kind of like ramp up in offensive quantum capabilities, you'll need defensive quantum capabilities to countermand those essentially. And it'll be like, it's like another arms race essentially. So what you're saying is we're going to have Mr. Robot IRL. Oh, I don't know. Like I didn't, uh, Mr. Robot. You didn't watch Mr. Robot. I should have. I, it was on my you? list to do. Yeah. It was on my it, list of shit to do. It, I, never it's I not, don't understand how you haven't watched Mr. Robot. Yeah. No, Zen, it's not the same. You're, you're, it's, it's not the same. No, no, they're the same as Mr. Robot. Amazing TV series. But what basically Sefi's basically saying is I need to watch it at some point. No, no, it's fucking savage. You should, Re Re Remy Malik, amazing actor. Yeah, Any, I know it's way, not please. exactly the same, but now I don't want to discuss why it's not the same because he hasn't seen Mr. Robot. So please do yeah. not like. Yeah, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. He needs to watch want. Mr. Robot. I, I was just going to say the dumbed down version of what Sefi's saying because I'm dumb and I'm, this is how I think about it is imagine you've got the wallets and all it's going to do is just keep working out the seed phrase which is just the password for the wallet and it's just going to recover your wallet still your funds done essentially is what that is, is the point sefi was making with quantum computing i got it i understand yeah and basically the, the the issue is not so much can it happen we know it can happen but in the meantime we'll like say for example the 
the Bitcoin algorithm change by then. Um, Bitcoin's algorithm is heavily based on a hardware that people are using called ASICs or application specific integrated circuits. And the problem is to convert all of that is a very expensive task um, and would put a lot of miners out of business if it suddenly had to change. Um, so you'd have a hard time getting consensus for changing the protocol. That would be one problem. The second problem is that like the doubling time in, so quantum, computer, quantum computers are measured in how many qubits of um, like, it's sort of like qubits are sort of like transistors in a, in a modern chip. You know how now chips have like trillions of transistors. Well, like quantum computing is a very physical device. It has to be, you know, a certain temperature and all sorts of stuff. So right now, the quantum computer, like some of the best that they've got is like 500 to 1,000 qubits, um, somewhere in that range. And, and um, like the doubling time of that has been pretty substantial, like pretty much yearly. So if you, if you say, okay, well, if the doubling time continues, you need like something like 10 million plus qubit computer to do a pretty good job, a fast job of breaking into a, um, you know, a the hashing algorithm for something like Bitcoin. So, you know, how long does that take? Maybe 10, 12 years, something like that at current pace. So it's, 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 it's pretty exponential, right? It's doubling every year or something. So uh, uh, that's the idea. So these are the kind of concerns you would have for that sort of thing. So you like if, if uh, Bitcoin is your only store of value and the only thing that you have, um, it's a little bit delusional to do that. Like you probably should diversify your money into some other things besides just that. It's fine to have it, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you own for sure. Uh, for that reason, um, unless you just like whatever, fuck it, they'll figure it out. In which case, you're just taking a big gamble if you have a lot of money in it. Morty, you were going to say something? Actually, I have two questions for you. Um, first question is how long have you been in the crypto space? And my second question is, if I remember uh, back in the day when I was in the crypto bull market, um, I remember uh, usually the altcoins and just in general, all crypto goes ape shit in the summertime. It goes absolutely skyrocket and then it calms down up until December. It goes for another run then. Those are my two questions. Is that correct? Yeah, I've, I've been around a long time. I mean, I've been... Um like playing with computers since they first came out, uh, like the personal computer came out. Um, so that just gives you an idea of uh, how long I've been playing around with these things. But um, as far as like investing in general, I started like around, oh, like first it was just uh, um, selling video game assets. That was kind of an EverQuest. I used to sell like characters and things. So I made a lot of money with that. This was basically 1999, 2000. I was in the top sort of guild in EverQuest back in those days. Damn, I was, was barely the, born. It was the second largest MMO after um, Ultima Online at the time. Actually, it, was the, it became the largest one. And then, of course, like some of my buddies went on to build World of Warcraft. Um, so, like, so like the first digital assets I sold were that. And then I don't really talk about every, anything related to crypto really um, early days, only because I just I'm not interested in uh, like people deducing which wallets are mine. So like, I don't really get into it in great detail, but been abound around a bit. Um, always loved sort of the fringes of the internet. Um, and I remember like, 
you know, when, when, I don't know, I have a lot of interesting stories to tell if you like, but they can get kind of long. Uh, it's like entire spaces worth of stories like that are interesting regarding video gaming and whatever else. Um, yeah, I used to do a lot of fun stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, the, uh, but I, I mostly don't get into the details just to kind of like not dox too many uh, wallets and things, which can get frustrating because uh, I don't really sell these things uh, mostly because I don't want uh, again to be recognized. I don't, I don't want the wallets to be known. So therefore I can't actually sell anything. He's Satoshi. So I can't, sell, I can't sell anything without being uh, sort of doxed to people. So I just leave everything alone, quite frankly, basically. Um, and then, um, your other question was like, Oh, market timing and all that shit. Oh man. Like it's pretty much impossible. Um, every season, every like little bull run or whatever has been different. Um, pretty much every single time. What, what's not different is the retracements from the top. Um, timing when the actual tops of things are is really difficult, but because like, who the fuck really knows? Like, how do you know if a million people or 10 million people are going to jump on and buy whatever coin you're buying, right? You don't know that. How do you know when they're going to do it? Like, how do you know who's going to post some YouTube video and make it go viral about some shit, right? Or how do you know when Elon's going to tweet or whatever? There's, there's no rhyme or reason to the uh, predicting of this shit. Um, and not really. Like, at some level, the when the so-called cycle starts and, you know, how do you get, get when, how do you know when the exact bottom is and how do you know? whatever you don't really that's why i talk a lot about like how to buy and sell these things in some rational way where like you can get most of the meat of the move in terms of the price action if you want to sell and buy and whatever um but you're never going to be exact um having said that like this season feels a bit more like so we're having a year uh bitcoin happening is in april um and this season, it looks like we seem to be having a strong year of the happening, as opposed to like last season where happening year was basically a train wreck with COVID crash and all that shit. Um, and then the year after that was when everything sort of picked up. Um, and that's also because like if you have a nice deep wreck, like capitulation, where everyone sells, all the leverage long positions get wiped out, then you have a really strong basis for uh, buying a ton of money, coins. Because when you have a deep capitulation crash and all the leverage people are wiped out, those are all future sellers that are going to dump on you, and you can basically just scoop in and like buy everything. And then it's a good, it's a good beginning for a bull market when you have capitulation because, you know, you basically wiped everyone out, and um, only the like everyone's in the green at that point that buys. So um, it's just kind of like typical market dynamics. This time we didn't have like we had the FTX crash and Bankman Freed and some other people getting fucked over and you know a bunch of customers got wrecked and a bunch of exchanges got blown out of the water so we had the deep wreckage this last season um culminating in like 2022 of course terra crashed and a bunch of other shit blew up blew up so we had a very deep capitulation there and so the bottom was the bottom at the end of the fdx crash so i was already buying go back and look at timeline stuff. I was like, Hey, I'm buying chain link here, like seven bucks, five bucks. It's now 20 or 18 or whatever it is. So you can do really well doing that. Um, it just grabbed the very, you know, at the same time I had to wait, like what it's like two years now for it to actually start going up again. So you, even if you knew when the exact bottom is a, do you have the guts to buy 
And B, do you have the balls to, you know, like hold on to your bags for two years, three years, four years, whatever it is. And if you don't have the patience for that, um, then you're, a lot of people get wiped out. Someone posted a, a chart like of chain link wallets. So they looked at like people that owned like 10 to I think 25,000 chain link, which currently would amount to like uh, half a million dollars kind of numbers. And a lot of those wallets sold in the five to $10 range over the last two years. Why did they do that? Were they just early wallets that were exiting in profit? Were they just bored? Were they were like looking at the stock market and going, hey, I'm going to go chase that? Who the hell knows? But all I do, I know is this, is in crypto, you know for a fact that people will sell the bottom. Like if they weren't selling the bottom, why would the price keep going down? So the thing is like a lot of people suck at this and that's why the price goes down. <laughs> so they'll actually sell at the literal bottom and um, when that stops and when the panic and capitulation stops, then and, and people that buy in those at those times, um, you know, are in good shape, then things will start going up. And we've had a good solid like what year and a half, especially for altcoins, where things were just down in the dumpster, you know, except for some like AI tokens and like Caspa and I think like whatever. There's a few coins that ran during the last year, but for the most part, uh, things were kind of flat. And that's when you kind of pick this stuff up and just wait. And usually when, when the market's flat for something like a year, year and a half, two years, then, um, you know, that's enough time for pretty much seller exhaustion and then things can go up and then you typically get a gigantic bull run. Um, so the bull run really began like, I don't know, like the end of 2022, like January, 2022, uh, things had already begun. So, you, so or Jan January 2023, I'm sorry. So if you haven't been buying since earlier in the year, last year, then you're already late. I mean, like, I think the last time I bought BTC was like 18K, 17K. You know, I think I got a little bit like right there at 16K as well. So like I was scaling in at that price range. And even then people were like, oh yeah, it's going to 12K. It's like, all right, fine. I'll get it at 12K, will you? The, the bottom line is you have to start scaling in at some point. And usually when these things like, you know, drop 70%, 80%, it's time to start buying. And you'll, you'll be in the red for a little while. Like when I bought at 18K, like, you know, the price fell down to 16 and 15K, whatever. But that's fine. But if you've already like most of the selling is done and, you know, you've had a good 70 to 80% retracement, I start to buy in. And as I do that, like then now, and then what I did is like, I think I sold my Bitcoin at about 27,000. And the reason I did that is because like something like Chainlink was at like five bucks. It, it was, and its top was 55, it was down at five bucks. It hadn't moved at all. So I took my gain in BTC, which is almost a two X, you know, whatever that was. And then I bought Chainlink at like five to seven bucks. So now that's done more than a three, you know, that's like a three X from, from there. So um, I was able to sort of like get, make some gains in that. And had I kept BTC, yeah, I would have I you know, doubled my money there or almost doubled there anyway. But um, but I did more by going and swapping at that point. So all coins just are better off. But we've been in really a bull run all last year, if you look at you know, BTC. And I think people define bull run differently, though. Like some people say it's like when the long moving averages start to go up, like the 400-day moving average or the four-year moving average, these kinds of numbers. Um, or like some people say, it's when all the retards show up and start bidding up infinite bid where 
like nobody really gives a fuck what the chart is. It's not like a bunch of pros and stuff. It's a bunch of retards that just buy anything, anytime, any price. They don't care. Um, you know, that would be like more the FOMO season where like the retail shows up and just starts buying everything. Are we there yet? I don't think so. I don't. And the reason I say that, some people say, oh yeah, like, you know, TikTokers are buying whatever, but I don't think very many people are heavily buying yet because if that were the case, you'd have a bunch of people in spaces and stuff asking you how to make wallets and shit. And I haven't seen that yet. Or you'd have like a half dozen NFT spaces and all the NFTs would be mooning right now and stuff, right? Like <laughs> Zen, have you seen a lot of NFT spaces go really like FOMO wild yet or not yet? I mean, no, I don't, I don't like, but are they I would hundreds of, are they getting hundreds of like users and stuff in the, in the not users, but like audience in these things yet? No, we haven't. When, when, when that happens, that's when you sell. Exactly. I like, so, I like, wait a minute. I might leave it for like a month or two. Yeah. Or like, I just wait for people to get really delusional and then I sell. Yeah. But that's I what think, you do. I think, but the problem is like people that are new to this are so focused on riding the wave that mm -hmm. they see it go down and they sell. It's like, dude, just chill. You see it go down enough. Put oh, a yeah. In. Like fucking no, newbies, fuck newbies are here. Newbies are here to get wrecked. That's just what they're here for. Can't um, you really say uh, BTC and um, Ethereum have really been in a bull market and then altcoins have been just, just getting started, I guess you could say? Yeah, like, yeah, altcoins are just getting started. BTC has already been in a bull market and then the AI shit has already been in a bull market, like, to a large extent. And, like, and then also remember, usually in crypto, when you break all-time high of BTC, you're in price discovery again, you're in price discovery for Ethereum things will really start running, especially as Ethereum runs because, well, I mean, both of them because they, they serve as collateral. So there's a lot of places you can borrow off of BTC and ETH. So therefore, when people feel rich in their uh, primary collateral, they can borrow off of that and buy whatever the hell they want. So there's a tendency to degen more as the price goes up. This is highly inadvisable, by the way. I'm not suggesting you do this because the problem is, is like when you're, when you, when you degen, like if you're going to go and go to, uh, go on Aave and shit, and you're going to go and buy like, I don't know, you're going to take a million dollar position in Chainlink at five dollars or whatever, and you're going to take put on leverage. Okay, fine. At the very bottom of the market, after you retrace ninety percent, sure, that makes sense. But what people do instead is they they start bidding up with leverage higher up in the market, like after they've maybe made a five x or something like that. Why do they do this? They do this because um, they feel like their collateral is worth more now. Number one. And so therefore, like if they take even 20% of their collateral, they still have a lot of excess collateral value where they won't be liquidated. So people get gutsy when their collateral value goes up. But on top of that, people tend to take on too much uh, leverage. And what ends up happening is, is like the, yeah, the market pumps, whatever. But then if you're not able to maintain your margin ratio and your collateral's value falls, which of course, you know, you know, these things go up and down. Then what happens that liquidations start to happen and then they have to sell other assets they bought in order to cover for that. And then they basically just go into a downward spiral. I feel and, really bad. I feel like crypto as a whole is like a massive trap for young men that I see over and over again. And like yeah. when they, they hear people like you talk, they're like, I want to do that. I want to be well, a day trader and get really rich. No, I'm not blaming it on you. But no, you but they don't hear me. They don't like, hear me talk. Like, no, if I'm they saying heard me talk from the beginning, it'd be different. They don't, but that's like, not who they hear, right? No, but hold they'd on. Be, they'd but, be rich. But, but Sefi, no. 
Sefi, like <laughs> if, if people like get inspired to be day traders, they're like, I'm mm -hmm. going to start out right now. And they don't understand. Like someone was asking me, like, how have you done so well? And I, I, I'm sitting there. I'm like, there's a rhythm to it, man. I don't know you how just, to, you just sit on your hands. when you've been here long enough, like you just start, you just literally, I just wake up. I'm like, yeah, it's been, it's about that time. I sell, I don't care. I don't feel FOMO. I don't get upset when other people get rich. I'm not like staring at the chart. I literally buy and I forget about it. So like yeah. people, young men, they look and see this stuff and they're like, I can do that. And maybe I, I'd say like the most unfortunate of them are the ones that actually make money early on um, because then, then they're like, I'm really good at this. And it's like, yeah. if you look statistically at people who do this, no, you're not. You're not really good at, at this. There's not, <laughs> yeah. like, like you're, you're going to fucking lose it all. You're wasting your time. Like I see, I see my crypto investments kind of like my 401k. I'm not thinking about it. It's like money I want to save. I buy it when it's low. I leave it. I'm not thinking about it. And I get a nice little bag. I'm not yeah, going fine. after crazy big bags. But the thing is, like, if you make little patient bags, I think I differ from Sefi a little bit here. If you make patient little tiny bags, those bags will get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. Yeah. If you, if you just chill out. Yep. Yep. And everyone's like, just, you know, how much they're spending, whatever varies. But, oh, let me, uh, Tatsuaki, you had a question? Yeah, I just wanted to chime in and say, I think, you know, you need to go through that when you're entering crypto, you won't learn in any other way. I mean, people can warn you a hundred thousand times if you're entering this market, which is, you know, so much different than any other market when it comes to the volatility, to the, you know, missing regulation, to the fact that, you know, these crypto companies can literally just issue new supply at any time. Um, you know, they can dump millions of tokens onto the market. So, you know, it's you got to go. I would, I would argue that. But you I don't. I never had to learn that lesson by being stupid. I never did that. I've only made money. Hang on, Zin, in stocks Zin, you can't say being stupid when someone's got no experience with something and they're learning. I mean, it's literally, uh, no, but it's literally so simple. They just don't uh, listen. Just buy when every buy when everyone is talking about like ending their life, like it's all over. Yeah, they're, it's going they're to new. Zero. They you don't buy, know. That's, you forget oh. about it. Forget about zin, it. Zin, 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 zin. Calm, calm. Goose about it. Wait until it goes back up. But and you they're sell. new. Don't solve a quadratic equation with no basic understanding of math. It's literally, no, no, no. People overcomplicate this and it's literally so easy. Like yeah, people say, you've been here. people say, you, you, it's not easy until you. Forehead, but it's literally that easy. Like, no, that'd be like if saying, you saw like, something go up a hundred, a hundred X, don't fucking buy, retard. Like, yeah, all your friends are talking about they're millionaires now, don't fucking buy it. Next. Well, that would have that would have been a mistake. That would have been a bad mistake. Imagine not buying Amazon stock because it went from four dollars to, to like, like you can't you can't use that measurement for everything. You can't. We're yeah. we're they're buying we're buying tokens here. If it's a company, yeah, yeah, I agree. Most most people shouldn't buy. Most people shouldn't be buying fucking crypto at any. There's too much too volatile yeah, for most people. Like oh, we have the, the simple thing is like the. What you don't know when you start out is how volatile something is, 
And you don't know how volatile it is relative to market caps and other nuances. And what people usually do is they hop onto their whatever, Kraken, Coinbase, whatever. They pop onto this app and they're like, oh, that looks like an interesting coin. Someone said it was interesting. And they'll just take a, buy some of it. Maybe they get a little bit. Maybe they get a lot. They don't have any fucking clue what it is. And by the way, they don't know. They don't have a big social circle either necessarily where they're like, oh, um, they have a vibe check about this or that. Hanging around on Twitter space, whatever, we hear all this stuff, right? Or you see like the sentiment and whatnot. But if you're not in like the social media sphere at all, then you really aren't going to have any idea of like, you know, who's actually celebrating that it's gone up and down and all this stuff. So it really depends on like how, where you got into it. Anyway, the thing is like, the other thing is, by the way, I would, I would reject the idea that by the way, TradFi is somehow safer. Um, it is not safer. It's actually substantially um, riskier in many ways. And the reason why traditional um, stocks are riskier is not because they're regulated, is because you feel you're safe because they're regulated and stocks go to zero all the fucking time, like all the time. So as soon as you start getting into any sort of like higher risk stocks, similar to this risk profile of crypto, say, for example, penny stocks and stuff, they don't have to go to zero. They can just drop by 95%, and you're pretty uncomfortable with your position at that point. It's like going to zero. So it happens all the time in the stock market as well. So I would say like, um, and so these trading volatility and small market cap high risk things generally is its own sort of um, like education. And I think what Tat's saying is that that basically like there's a lot of things you buy and you're not really sure what the like there's things in crypto you could buy that are just overt rug pulls obviously there's some things you can buy that are uh valued extraordinarily badly like i'll give you an example um like uh last season early on a lot of people were buying like in DeFi summer they were buying stuff like ave and whatever like dex tokens and DEX tokens were valued really, really terribly as far as, you know, dilution and fucking uh, like uh, the amount of inflation and all other stuff. And when you go buy it, when you go run to an app and you're like, oh, I think I'm going to buy some Ave tokens or I'm going to buy Uniswap or something. Like when you first buy these things, you don't realize what the nuances of the tokenomics really are. So it's not so straightforward as just buying when everyone's... Um, the other thing, too, is usually if you get into a market, whether it's stocks uh, like the tech bubble right now, um, or if you get into crypto, you got into it. Why? You got into it because your friends told you about it and, or CNBC or the media is talking about. It. So there's a very strong tendency for people to come in when the market's too hot, because when it's boring, nobody gives a shit about it. That's why. So it's like, yeah, but these guys don't have any stability. They're like, I want to quit my job and become rich off of tokens. It's like you're setting yourself up to fail. Like, get a fucking job. Well, I mean, remember, like I the average, not... the average IQ is like, like maybe ninety three at best. In America, like, take a country like America. So the reality is, like, a bunch of people just don't are stupid. So like, well, I, you know, they're going to lose say, money no matter what. I, I would say sometimes the dumber you are when it comes to trading. Sometimes. I mean, if you simply just if you simply just took two to one bets all the time, uh, you you have a better chance than somebody who was. Yeah, but that's 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 more cope than anything, because like really like the dimwits mostly just lose money. Yeah, there are a few people that make money, but most do not. Ninety five percent of people lose money in the space. Like look at the liquidity drawdowns. 
you know 95% of people losing money. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know how. Santani, one thing regarding what you said about the quitting your job and like going full-time into crypto. I, I literally did that. You know, I Bitcoin was at like uh, 10,000 and I took all of my money in the bank and I put it all into Bitcoin and then it went to 60,000 and I was suddenly rich. So I quit my job and, you know, I lost a lot of that money in the following uh, months and years. And Thankfully, I made Wait, how it did you, back, how did you lose it? What did, what did you do to lose it? Basically, not knowing the cycle correctly, not knowing what he was buying know, dips on a, in a bear market, just like everyone else. They buy dips in bear markets, and then that's how you go broke by catching falling knives. Uh, no, that's not with you how you go Did, broke. Catching falling knives exactly how you get rich. Yeah, no, no, but no, the, no, the, no, the point that's how I make more money than all of you. Like that's I'm sorry, what you do. Make this point. You know, if you well, become a different market participant than just an investor over time, even if you're losing money, if you start looking deeper into the technology and elevate your status from, you know, just a consumer to a producer of the technology, it doesn't even matter if you, you know, just buy it and hold it forever, which is what I do now because I don't even have to look at it anymore. I um, yeah, I think you just, I just need to, to change your position in the market. I want to make something very clear because, uh, we talked about this before. If, if you're buying, if you're, if you're grid trading, basically, uh, and you're trading without a stop, that's the only, most of these people buy the dip, they buy falling knives with stop losses and then they get stopped out and they, they stop out their bankroll and, and they, and they take these. They take the yeah, first rule of crypto is if you're losing, if using stop losses on spot buys, you're an yes, that's you why they do. lose. We talked about can't do before. that, but yeah. most retail buyers are not putting stop losses in 99% do not. They just no, simply buy stuff at the wrong price and then they sell low because they figure it's going to zero. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely like I, I do that too. Like, okay, so if you're going to want to, if you want to trade for a living for daily income, you should probably trade future contracts. And, 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 and that way you can, you know, use enough margin and, and, and why are you thumbs downing future contracts? I'd like to hear your debate on that. Because you're gambling on something you've got no control over. At least with spot, you're not losing money. If you're doing say a 10 times or a hundred times leverage future contract, no, it's stupid. All it takes is one person to tweet the wrong thing or the right thing. Oh, I was talking about lucky. trading future contracts on the NASDAQ or the S&P 500, not uh, uh, yeah, it's still the same though. Like, and, and the problem with the stock market as well is you've got closing times. Something happens during those closing times. You can't sell. Everyone sells at the same well, time. You, you've just you're, you're an int- if you're an intraday trader, you're you're literally looking for a a maybe a ten minute to a twenty minute impulse move. You're not really looking for. You're just looking for a small swing trade. You're yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, but for, like, here's the thing. Like, if you're if you're relatively young in uh, in in life. Um, you're much better off having a job that pays you a lot of money. And therefore, you can then invest in things fairly easily on the way down versus like people thinking that they can fucking like uh, become like successful kind of quote unquote traders. And the reality is, here's the thing. If you're not particularly bright in terms of in life, how the fuck do you know what what stock's going to go up and what isn't in terms of like the technical merits of say like, I don't know, like an IBM Osprey quantum computing system. How do you know like whether it's worth buying that or not? 
Uh, or how do you know, like, like I know how to, you know, I should buy some intuitive surgical stock because I went and used the fucking robot. And by knowing, by using this thing, I'm like, okay, this is going to change my industry for sure. And therefore, I'm going to buy a bunch of the fucking stock because I know it's going to go up for sure. So there's like, there's asymmetric certainty you can get by being a relative sort of like, you know, like, especially in the tech space and whatnot, by knowing more about that particular field. And the problem with trading and stuff is that you just can't beat that knowledge no matter what else you do. And that's the, so you can read analyst reports and read magazines and read CNBC or whatever. But the problem is like, unless you actually deeply sort of get into that stuff, it's really hard to beat it. And so I would say like, if you're like starting out, you're younger, which is in was talking about how these guys that just get themselves wrecked, you're way better off making like a solid income doing something serious. And then the knowledge you get from doing that, you can translate to trading as opposed to like, becoming like a finance bro is like a full-time thing like you, your your knowledge base is infinitesimal compared to people that are you know 10x smarter than you at that point and that becomes problematic and then you can win either way like don't get me wrong like anyone can sort of theoretically win trading with some strategy and whatnot um but at the same time the vast majority of people don't so the problem is in a space like this you might be providing advice to people but the problem is their iq may not be high enough to understand your advice anyway like they're not, they're not implying that, like, I'll say something, but they'll imply something completely different than what I meant from what I'm saying. So like the interpretation goes into the dustbin and, um, and most people stuff. should just sports bet. Uh, to be totally honest with you, you should just be a sports better because you'd have a better chance. Uh, cause that way you, that way it's just a binary outcome. And, uh, you know more about the NFL than you do about, uh, you know, why Carvana skyrocketing. Right. So there's, you know, it's a it's this it's a weird thing to do, but um, no, what people should do when they're young is no, they what people stay should in fucking school and study all day long. That's what they should. Well, do. yeah, of course, but they're not going to do instead. That. What what Americans are doing is they're just fucking around, and this is why like they're becoming extremely competitive. <laughs> um, you 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 like invest in yourself, and you do really really well. Like that's just how life is. Like it's yeah, that simple. It it's so sad because like you <laughs> your brain is still malleable in youth. You should be learning as much as you can, as many skills as you can. That should be your main focus. Keep a fucking job. Don't be lazy. And see crypto as the, some see it as like a bank. Delayed gratification. As a bank that gives you interest. Buy buy when it's low and close your ears. Don't listen to other people. Just buy when it's low. Leave it there. Uh, That's it. I'm sorry, man. I don't agree. Always I don't agree. agree. I was I was the youngest employee worldwide at Oracle when I was 18. Um, wink at. Mm -hmm. And so what and, happened to your Oracle position? Yeah, so, you know, I was the youngest employee worldwide there. I learned quite a lot of things. And then I I went to Datadog and I learned quite a lot of things there as well. And, you know, I, I was making 100-something K a year at the age of 21. And yeah. I must tell you, if I hadn't quit that job to, you know, go full-time into, you know, investing and at the same time trying out startups, um, I would have never reached yeah, the things that, take, you know, yeah, but you take I feel like I've when you're young while yeah. you're making some sort of income. So you're not fucking homeless. That's the, that's the key thing. Like. So yeah, you have a lot sure. more. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you should definitely have enough money to be able to sustain yourself, but you should definitely also take calculated risks. I mean, I think the best things in my life have come from quitting things and going out to test something new and doing something 
different, you know, and like, you have to risk stuff. Generally. Say, for example, with my skill set, I could basically lose every penny I have, including every like bit of income, and I can get a job anywhere on this planet, any country you can name. I would be hired instantaneously doing what I do. And by making myself completely um, necessary to the human race, what happens is, is it doesn't make any difference how much money I have. So I can fuck around and find out with more money than you can imagine because it literally doesn't matter. I could, I could, be, I could basically survive. You could make me homeless and I would be homeless for five minutes and um, you know, would get a job instantaneously. So this, it's a very different way. You can risk a lot more. And you can do a lot more sort of exactly what you're talking about if you have a known, um, you know for sure you can have an income source one way or the other. And that's a, that's a different yeah. place to be in. That's exactly what I'm saying is like these, when I'm, and listen, Tatsu, you need to be careful because when you say these things, it's like, sure, maybe you got lucky. Okay. But like, if you go around and tell these guys this, it's like it. Because I'm seeing an influx of very, very young men that are going making their plan A the riskiest plan and having zero plan B. This is not, it's not smart. Not only is it not smart, you're setting yourself up to fail long term. You should be developing in the same way Sefi said, he's still working. Like if you look at just up to someone like Sefi, you should listen to the whole thing. Like everything that he's saying. Because also yeah, another sure. thing. Another thing is like another thing. One of the reasons I think that I have made money where I'm watching, I watch other people make more money than me and then lose it all is because I'm not emotional about it. And what allows me to not be emotional about it is because I work. I have I have my income coming in. So when I'm putting a bunch of money somewhere, yes, it would really suck if if I lost it all. But I'd be all right. Like, you won't be able to make smart decisions if you are relying on the volatility of a crazy market to give you an income. Not only, not only is that dangerous, it's also like mentally... It People is get suicidal healthy. around here. They're like, oh, I lost all my money in uh, Anchor Protocol and UST or whatever. I'm like, why in the holy land of fuck were you putting that much money in UST on Anchor Protocol? Like... At no point when we had like spaces about Terra or anything like that, I was like, yeah, maybe I'll like play with like 5% of my, you know, like whatever with a little bit of leverage and I might fuck around just for playtime's sake, just to test protocols and stuff. But like, no matter how many times you say, oh, by the way, it's risky or, oh, look, there's centralization risks or this, this and that and the other thing. Like, yeah, I mean, I put some bag in the, the coin and I've, you know, 10x my money or 100x my money or whatever. But the thing is like, I have all sorts of other money. That's not the only thing that I have. So even when we sit around on Twitter and stuff and post bullish stuff about some coin or whatever, that doesn't mean I don't have a job that makes more money than you do at, at like any given day. So like the, the thing is like what different people say and what they're doing may be very, very different from your particular situation. You have to be careful with that. Otherwise, um, like I said, I could, I could quite literally lose every penny I have. I, in fact, on top of that, I could lose my life and my family would be fine because I've got life insurance, I've got this and I've got that. So it's like, it's almost like, it would be almost impossible for my kids to be poor. Like there's, I've, I've considered every possible angle to make sure that like uh, they'll be fine no matter what. Not to mention I have like extended family that can help them as well who, I've, who are also, um, you know, like we're, we're close enough with. So if you have a bigger family, you have like more money amongst all the family members. All of those family members have good jobs. 
and whatever, then you have a much bigger like social circle or like family circle that can protect you. And that stability gives you the emotional stability as well, which is extremely important because when your money, when your investment takes a dip, you're cool about it. You're able to think about it. Other people that are relying on that dip and seeing their entire net worth go down are shitting their pants. Like you're not able to think clearly and you're going to make stupid decisions. You're like staring at it, especially I don't understand day traders. You're staring yeah, at something like, going up like and if down my Luna bag went down like millions of dollars and my um, like Voyager bag went to zero, quite literally, like the, the stock in the stock market. Um, so there's, there's stuff I had that like, you know, you know, the millions of dollars down the drain in theory. But at the same time, that's not all of what I own. So it's like, uh, you know, I'm fine. So you notice like during the bear market, I was still like hanging around, tweeting shit, having spaces, whatever the fuck. I didn't really care. Um, I didn't do very many spaces because like during a bear market, nobody shows up. That's a different thing. What am I going to sit here and talk to myself? So like, you know, that was kind of, a, you know, but you didn't see me disappear. Whereas a lot of people, they're like, Ooh, I'm like, I don't know. My life got fucked over. I disappeared. I went and did this, went and did that. But a lot of people in this room were hanging out the entire last two years, just, you know, shooting the shit, talking, whatever. And what we learn is like, yeah, you learn all of the details about the next protocols, the next you know, whatever, like that's how, you know, I know Wabi, myself and a bunch of other people here, we knew because we knew, you know, Celestia was coming out. We knew Say Network was coming out. And we knew that for like years before it actually came out, like years. So what do we do? We're like, oh, then we buy them the moment they come out. They do a 2X, 3X. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm out. Like, I don't really want those things. I just like know that they're going to go up and I get them at the very instant they come out. And I know they're not going to zero because they're like credible projects. That's all I need to know, because if it goes down, okay, fine, I'll be a bag holder. And I know it's going to go back up because it's a credible project. If it's not, if it's just going to pump, all right, great. I make my three X and I'm out of here. Who cares? I win no matter what. Like, so there comes a point where you can win no matter what, if you have the right sort of like set of information and, um, and like, but you don't just ape into everything like that. Uh, Certainly not. (laughs) And like, but, but a lot of Twitter space and stuff, like people are talking about the just stupidest ass coins and things that have no relevance to anything. Um, Like, you know, they, they deserve to get wrecked because they're morons kind of thing. But it's also like you hear a bunch of people and you, they sound like they're having fun. Right. So I get it. Like for entertainment purposes, there's a lot of crypto stuff that, you know, people seem like they're having fun, like meme coins, whatever. Well, great. Have fun. But like, if you think you're going to like, oh, look, I'm going to look at this chart and go, oh, my God, I'm going to make 100x on this thing. You might, but the odds are not good that you will. Um, I've, I've noticed actually like the times that I notice I'm really because I think I keep my cool most of the time. But I've noticed in myself, I think my biggest weakness is it is really easy to get addicted to the bull. And I'm a big believer in selling before you're at I, I don't go for the all-time high. I've been sitting on it for so long that I don't care. But it is hard to, like, it's hard to do that when you're, every single day you're looking, it's like, oh, my God, I just made, like, a year's rent. You know what I mean? It's it's like yeah, when the, when the, that when the, feeling of, like, stars. I want more. I want more. <laughs> start seeing stars. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun watching number go up, let's face it. Like but, that's, but, but that's I noticed, like, Anytime I get like that and I see it in myself where I'm getting really greedy, I just sell. I just sell. And I don't I don't look. I don't let myself have FOMO. Like it, there's no point. It'll go back down. It will. Pete's point was that like you would miss something like 
there are certain things like an Amazon or an Apple or a Nvidia or a whatever. Like there are some examples where you will miss out if you don't just buy and hold. And I've definitely sold some bags that I shouldn't have in my life. Um, I've definitely missed some stuff that I faded. My wife was like, oh, you should buy Facebook. When the fucking thing came out, it dipped like 40% off the IPO. And I'm like, no, it's going to be next MySpace. She's like, no, everyone's fucking using Facebook, dude. Like, get it. And I didn't. I faded her. And so I, I you know, we, she still rubs it in my face. I faded Tesla. Why did I face Tesla? I'm like, who's Elon Musk? What the fuck? Like, what's he doing? And we, you know, it was the IPO of Tesla. And it like, again. One thing to mention. Well, because at the time, he, it was just like a bullshit car company. It wasn't even like capable of doing anything at the time. Oh, just, like you're not, early. You're not going to fade uh, Early, like in the beginning when IPO. I mean, yeah. you could just, you, I still made a bag off Tesla. Yeah, you could have bought just a little bit. My wife told me she's like. 2017? Yeah, my wife's like, buy some Tesla. And she's like, buy some Facebook when they first came out. I'm like, oh, I don't know. People are fudding Elon and saying he's just like, how in the world are you going to take on the car industry? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, and battery, pa- batteries for cars barely had come along at that point. So it's like, legitimately, it could have gone to zero though. So, but like, my wife was like, oh, you should get it. Like, the vibe check was like, <laughs> she, she tends to know, like, she, t- she just, tends to pick up the social vibes right? really well. And I'm like, pretty much I should buy whatever the fuck she says, honestly. Pretty much anything she's had to buy went up a lot. A fuck lot, by the way. Not even a little bit. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, she was the one that was telling me to sell my Apple stock all my life. Sefi, why she's she like, oh, you know, spaces, you're, like you've so only she... bought Apple stock for the first 10 stock for the first 10 years we're married. What the fuck are you doing? Everyone says diversify. What are you doing? I'm like, fuck diversification. Apple is, 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 the, is the shit. And so I was right. It was like the most successful stock of all time at the time. So Sefi that turned out okay that time. Spaces, but I did fade some of the shit that please, she picked. Man. For sure. It's, again, it's ego probably or whatever, or just a mis... Well, it's not just ego. It was like legitimately those reasons why Facebook could have been the next MySpace or like Tesla could have just simply failed. But I we I should have got some at least, basically, like at the time. Yeah, uh, well, you're not going to... You're not fading Palantir, right? You're, you're, you're buying that? I've got Palantir. Okay, good. Yeah, I've you, been talking you, about the last couple of years. Yeah, the... Uh, okay, you've been much earlier than me. I got in on the dip, though. I did get the... The large pullback around 11. So I think I picked up Palantir the first, like, five bucks, maybe. Palantir? What is that? There you go. Now we got a new one to the journey. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a bunch of stocks. Like, I, I don't do too many spaces about it because a lot of people here are, like, more crypto folks. Yeah, so. but, and yeah, I, it, it, and I'm much more, I'm, I'm much more uh, conservative on the... What do you think of Peloton right now? That's down to like four bucks. What do you think? Yeah, I looked at that and I actually own a gym. So I'm like, uh, the, the Peloton thing. I don't know. Um, like there's this promise that everyone own a gym. Uh huh. There's this promise. Say, what do you mean by that? Like you have a little gym in your house? No, it's, it's it's a $12 million facility. No, it's not a little thing. Um, it's a big thing anyway, but like the, the um but no i so the palantir i i was worried that like stuff like peloton and like home fitness shit would like be a problem for my business in terms of the commercial enterprise and i was like well you know um my worry was like you know people are going to work out at home and shit and they're not going to like go to the gym and whatever but my thesis about building a gym like and this was a number of years ago like my thesis was everyone's gone online and all the shopping and shit's gone online and eventually there's going to be a rebound where people are going to be like fuck this it's just everything's online and everything's closed down and people are going to have to have somewhere to go somewhere to socialize somewhere to meet 
people singles to catch up with each other and all that shit. And my thinking was, let's build a badass gym, not just even a normal one, but just a fucking gigantic one and um, build one with like all the best equipment and everything in it. Competition stuff and the whole nine yards. It's basically like a high end performance gym. Chugs would probably walk in and fucking blow his load. Like it's a better gym than probably like all the gyms in the United Kingdom. Like any. Well, hang on. No, no, no. No, I I can't say it because it'll. If I was to say the gym I'd go to, it'd be a massive docks and it's. I did start top end. Like, don't yeah, get so, me wrong. So, so like, so this, feeling. so this was built like just gigantic. It's like um, the the the. It's all like anyway. The point is, it's, forget about that. Like, I want to talk about the gym. The the thing is, like the the um, stuff like to Peloton and whatnot. The reason I didn't really like buy that dip is because, like, over and over, it it was like the fitness industry is going to go home and people are going to do this at the house. And what we know like more and more and more is the people that don't want to spring money for a gym are not necessarily going to spring a whole lot of money for a bunch of home shit either. A lot of times, um, especially when it comes to like subscription services and this and that. So, cause like, think about it. If you just needed to like stay fit somewhat, right. It doesn't, you don't need a bunch of shit. You just need to walk every day. Let's just be realistic. Like if you walk an hour a day, you're making more headway than most people are making for free. If you do just like basic, basic free weight exercise and you're 90% of the human race, you're probably going to be doing pretty good. You don't have to spend very much money on this. So like things like cycles and things are a niche population in that like a lot of people don't like sitting on cycles and whatnot. And so like at some level, I think the VR experience for exercise seems interesting, but it was like the total addressable market is somewhat limited and how much people are willing to pay for that shit is limited as well. And you know this because a lot of uh, discount gyms that are in America, like Planet Fitness and um, like True Fit, there's a bunch of these little bitty ones. The amount people are willing to pay for that stuff is like, oh, I'll pay 20 bucks a month for membership, 30 bucks a month, these little ghetto gyms. And the reason why they want it, they'll pay that low is because like it's funny how they'll pay only like 30 bucks for a monthly gym, but they'll pay like $150 a holiday in for the night. Right. Like, so my theory was like, if you do like, if you can build a place that people be willing to pay like 100 to $200 a month for, and it's a much nicer place then the odds are that like you will get the luxury market similar to how Apple traps the luxury market. Peloton tries to, you know, tap into luxury market as well to some extent, people that are willing to pay like a couple of grand or something for a device. But like my sense was that like, I don't know, it just didn't seem like Peloton was going to be one that like really rocked it. And, and, and luckily I didn't buy it um, like during all the Peloton hype because, you know, when the, the bikes were in the mall and everything, they're fucking cool. I mean, let's just face it. But like the stock was just like mega overvalued. Steffi and, just casually yeah, totally mentioning right. he's the CEO of Equinox. No, it's not Equinox. But I did use Equinox's like, I did visit some Equinoxes to, um, just sort of like figure out what they did exactly. Um, and what, like we're fit, we're like built more for like a Wabi or a Chugs, like people that are hardcore gym rat type crowd. And for people that like to compete and do sort of like, um, what's it called? Like either bodybuilding or, um, physique and all of those kinds of things. So it's like a much more like hardcore gym. Equinox is more like the new country club is what that is. Like 
It's you're going to have to invite me to this gym, Sefi, because you're giving me like, yeah, I might dream tonight <laughs> for the first time in 28 years. There might be a dream. <laughs> you're gonna, you should get to DM me like where, where it is and just be like, yeah, John. I don't talk about it too crazy. much because like there aren't very many like it and therefore it's like fairly easy to figure out who I am. Oh, I, don't, like, I don't get yeah, it but, too much. <laughs> you'd know who i was then and then it'd be it'd be mutually destroyed mutually assured no, 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 I'm, no i'm fine with you it's just like just with the general internet and stuff i tend not to get too like you know when you're in the medical uh when you're in medical and stuff like i mean seriously there's very little benefit to being doxxed on the internet like it'll fuck you over so it's not a worthy thing to like brag Wait, on the why? About your why specifically story. medical um it, there's just lots of different reasons but like um, either people can get information about you for various purposes. Like, I don't know, first of all, number one, it's just a existential risk. Like people will actually extort you, kidnap your children. Cartels will steal your kids, all that shit. So like, this is a problem. So the internet is not really a great, like if you are on the internet and you have a reason to be doxxed, like, because you know, it's some business thing or whatever, fuck it. Fine. If you like are building a following or something, or you want to like, you know, find a date or something or whatever and you want people to know who you are okay fine but like for me there's almost no reason to really like be doxxed on the internet like except to like stroke my own ego or something or whatever right like i it doesn't make sense there's just too many attack vectors and also like when it comes to medical and whatnot um you, when you deal with lots of people that are dying um generally speaking um you know so like if in the united states like probably 20 to 30 percent of people that um, are about to die or going to die, it happens in intensive care. So it's like an emotionally charged uh, group of people that your your patients are, your clients are. And you don't really want to be like, I don't know, like, you know, waving um, some sort of wealth in front of them or even create a situation where someone wants to sue you for something or whatever and decides, oh, okay, this guy has this or that or whatever, right? So it's like, I don't know, it's just not, worthy worthwhile in my opinion yeah i was gonna say and if you say you get the wrong and, person like advice based on something they've asked you then they're like right. oh i know you i'm gonna sue you now like you know because you technically you're not allowed are you knows, really but not, not only not only the sue but like imagine like um i don't know there's so many problems you can get into just by being doxing these things it's not worthwhile like uh i mean that remember i've been around the internet like since the fucking thing came out like i mean since you could get, log in and use a web browser like mozilla and everything so like, um, I was around during a much more paranoid time where people would have like accounts stolen and hacked and fished and whatever. Um, fortunately for me, I've never actually suffered from a virus Trojan or any other hack in my entire life. Um, and that's because I know what I'm doing, but it's also, uh, because like I take a little bit of that personal security seriously. And, um, a lot of people don't and, um, like, I, you know. And now, especially, it's even more um, likely to get in trouble with AI and stuff, where people use your likeness and everything. Technically, we speaking, we shouldn't even be speaking on spaces anymore with being doxxed because, like, people just literally copy you and call your mother and have, steal her money or whatever. So it's, it's a problem. That's literally why I stopped coming into Bruce's spaces because he was <laughs> doing that. He went through that phase of like taking people's voices and then like making like AI fun. generated fucking. And I was sitting again. Nah, I ain't talking anymore. Sorry, Bruce. Like, I'm not. I'm not doing this yeah, with you. But that'll be the normal soon. Like, people can just like you could be at the gym and talking, and people can record your voice and like replicate you. It's gonna be a real problem. But 
whatever the security problems are going to get worse but like i'm just pointing out like why my per me personally why i'm more paranoid because i i lived in a time when the internet was a lot less secure essentially and um you know and, and that led me to sort of a certain type of i mean even during the days when i was playing like everquest and stuff um i never docked myself to any of the the guild members that i played with some of those guys used to kind of hang out in california and meet up and stuff or be like hey can you you want to fly out and come hang out with us blah 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 and i never really did anything personal with anybody on the internet like ever <laughs> like and that's something i've just all my life stuck with that's all and um Anyway, Duffy, um, so Friday or Thursday or no, Tuesday before market close, I didn't know what to do. So I bought a put on QQQ uh, thinking like, oh, like probably NVIDIA won't blow earnings. Like I thought it was going to be a negative thing. Anyway, I got completely waxed, completely waxed and. I'm and that money was gonna go to Link, and I decided so. I'm never, I'm never trading options again. I got my ass waxed, and I'm only ever buying Link, and I will never well, make that mistake again. No, like Kareem, the the simple thing is this: like in stocks, like unless you have some insider information that suggests that like you really know for sure that over some period of time something's going to go a certain direction. Um, Man, it's like really, really tough to predict that shit, as you've just noticed. So all I did is all I would do is like all the last two years, if I had this basket of like, you know, a couple hundred stocks or whatever, and anytime one would I just go down my portfolio list. Some of my only bought one share. I go down my list and I'd be like, okay, what's down the most for today? And if I have some spare cash coming in from work or my wife's like, go buy some stocks or whatever, I'll figure out I'll just pick whichever one was the lowest relative to the other ones all of which all of which are not going to zero by the way maybe they're not going to gain a lot of money but i you know wealth preservation i just pick some that like okay some of them are like fertilizer stocks or whatever the hell they're not like too sexy or anything interesting and i'll buy them and if they dip i'll get more and if they dip more i'll get even more and then especially because the ones that are in dividend the lower the price of that stock the higher the relative dividend i want that stock to pay me forever so I want to catch that at the very bottom and I want to get it, catch it all the way to the bottom. I don't know where the bottom is going to be. Buying yeah. there. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm such a fucking doofus. Cause I'm actually fucking legit at stock picking. Like when MongoDB, Atlassian all IPO at like 30 bucks, I'm like everyone, every tech company uses Jira. This thing's going to moon. Oh, every MongoDB is the fastest no SQL database on the market. This thing's going to moon square when it IPO at 12 bucks. I was like, oh, this is fucking square. Like, this thing's going to be used by everybody. Why would you use like yeah, this? Yeah, it's like when I bought Visa and MasterCard when they first came out. Yeah, and I'm just a toilet paper, caca hands ass investor, bro. I don't know how else to say it, and I never learned. If I just, even Bitcoin, I bought that shit in 2017. I still have my old Coinbase. Listen, pocket. dude, like what you, do in, what you should do in stocks is since you have some technical knowledge, like just buy like a hundred bucks worth, like don't even get very much or get like one share. Cause you're like, Hey, like maybe it'll go up, maybe it won't. And if you happen to get the wrong price, you get that one share. And if it goes down 10%, double up your, double up your thing. If it goes down 20% from your first buy, you know, buy, buy three shares or four shares. And then you just like go really light. 
Um, so yeah, one really, really important sort of technique I find is very helpful is if you hear about something, someone's on Twitter spaces, maybe you heard something on CNBC, who the fuck knows? You heard about it on a magazine or whatever. It seems compelling. Um, like, you know, I initially got like Archer aviation or something. Cause it was like, they're making electric airplanes and shit. I'm like, this sounds stupid. How are you going to like, how much shit are you going to carry an electric airplane? I'm like, wait a minute. I faded the electric car. Let's not fade the electric airplane. So fuck it. I bought some Archer Aviation, but I got it a relatively small amount. And basically I added all the way to the very, very bottom. And it's a risk on assets. So it basically got wrecked, right? Because the, the price just kept going down, down, down. And I added to it like um, very small, like at the very beginning and I escalated. Now I've got a pretty big bag of it. And um, if it does really well, wonderful. Like, you know, in 10, 20 years, maybe it does awesome. If it doesn't, who cares? It's not that much anyway doesn't matter. So the thing is like, you, you need to have, you just stay basically like if you have specific knowledge about something and you think, well, oh, this is a tech that people are going to use, throw a hundred bucks at it. Like don't overdo it. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, don't all, pay for all traders, sorry, all, Kareem, all traders problems or investors problems are solved by reducing your position size. You, you're, that is the, that is the answer to day trading. That is the answer to swing trading. That is the answer to wealth building is the reason why you're a shitty investor is because you're putting too much into something and you're getting shaken out instead of adding more to the position. And, and listen, we all go through it, man. I, I tell people that all the time. Like, it, I, I had to learn it too. In, in order to win at trading, you have to trade small. And that is relative. I mean, if you had $100 million, it'd be a different conversation. But if you had like, if I put, if I put a half a million dollars into uh, Palantir and it dropped 35%, I, I'd be a little nervous. I'd be a really nervous. Yeah, like I, I didn't get that much Palantir. Like I didn't know. No, I know, but I don't, I'm just giving know. a number to me, you know? I didn't know we'd have like this much of an uh, AI boom when we did. And I didn't know that Palantir stuff was actually going to be, um, that useful like legit yeah it turns <laughs> turns out that their their defense stuff is quite good did, and they're, did you they're see what money. they released on ferrari today no a ferrari the the car yeah did you hold on i'll pull i'll put no. it in the build down there hold on for sure, sure no but like but there's quite a few of these things um kareem that like um the, the simple answer is like you not everything that you buy you have to sort of get rich quick on now in a crypto bull market though i tend to differ on this so I bought more Chainlink than I did all the stock I bought in two solid years. Why did I do that? I put this? it up on the Jumbotron. You know, so that there are certain things I have some conviction in that if I know pretty sure I can get a 2X or a 3X, even if it's not a 10X or 100X or whatever, I can go into it with absolute size and triple my money or whatever in a bull market just by throwing a dart at the at Chainlink, right? Like I didn't, like, and the but odds it's going to go to zero is, is low. Even, even Chainlink's a, a good example of, betting with size but you're still betting on strength it isn't like you're taking yeah, a very yeah. large position in you know dogecoin or right you're it, betting well, on specifically i'm betting not just on like the you're betting on the market and that's your two horse. things one is the fundamentals are fantastic but the second is it was undervalued by the market it wasn't like pumped to high heaven yet and those that combination of something that you believe you know has asymmetric fundamentals that nobody else understands and the market hasn't priced that in yet, that's where you make the big wins. Like whether it's Bitcoin early, whether it's Ethereum early, whether it's Apple early, it, like what all of those things required you to have sort of like a 
a little bit deeper understanding than probably like 90% of the people out there. And the market had underpriced the particular thing. Palantir is a great example, Pete. Like I bought some, but I didn't go heavy into it because I didn't realize, you know, how much they were accomplishing. I knew that like their stock pumped initially to like much higher because of like hype and then it bumped, dumped, right? And I just bought it because it dumped. I, I was like, ah, this looks like a discount. I'll go get some now. Who the fuck knows what they're going to do? And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, like I'm undersized now. So I bought more um, at like, I don't remember what it was, it 19 bucks or what was it yeah. lately? Yeah. yeah. And then it went up to like 25 or something. So I, I bought more because I realized uh, how good I, the potential. I ha it has more potential. Yeah. You sometimes you add to your position because, like, not because it's just because it went up, but because maybe you under exposed yourself to something. And I still believe that the market was under, like, there's still a lot of room to run. And so the, the moment. The moment that Nvidia and Palantir team up, it, it, and it's bound to happen. They have, they, they both have so much money. It's, it's bound to happen. Nvidia and Palantir are definitely going to team up eventually. Palantir's got like three point five billion in cash. They're, they're just a no debt. They're partnering with everybody. It, it, I'm going to keep buying. I'll buy that. That, that's something like going back to the logic where in the beginning, and I know that the, the lady wasn't you know, making a hard rule, but just because something went up a hundred percent doesn't mean it's not a good deal. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's still good. It's just that you can't position. Everyone just cut their trading in half. If you normally go in at a thousand, just go in at 500, give yourself yeah, like, that $500 to buy the dip. Cause you're never going to be yeah. able to time. I picked up like another example of something that was reasonably successful lately that nobody else was sort of bothering with. And I was like, huh, let's see what's going on here was IBM. And IBM was the one because I had researched the quantum computing components uh, to see how, number one, it would affect my Bitcoin bags. But secondly, how to like take advantage of that if it did. And I'm like, OK, well, who's building what quantum computers between Google and IBM in China or whatever? And um, I picked up, um, you know, uh, IBM at probably an average price of like, I don't know, 130 bucks or something. It's now 186. Like, who is buying IBM with me? Fucking nobody. Like, I would post about it and no one would be like, oh, yeah, I'm buying IBM with you, man. Sounds like a good thesis. No. And, and the PE ratio was terrible. It was like had very high dividend, uh, had good cloud computing services. And I figured, ah, eh, it's not going to zero. This thing, ha they have a cloud computing service that generates revenue. They, they have a positive price to earnings ratio. They're not in the negative and they make actual earnings. And um, at the very least, it'll be a store of value at the very worst, like, or maybe at the very best, it gives me a high dividend because I bought the stock when it was wrecked. And if it goes up, it goes up. And now it's like 185 and I'm up like 50% on simple IBM stock and like old school blue chip stock and like up 50% within the year. And I have the dividends that just keep paying out forever. So I bought a much larger bag of IBM because I knew that like, the, there's there's not a reasonable chance that it's going to go to zero anytime soon. So you can buy with a much bigger size in that type of blue chip. But to be able to buy a blue chip and get fifty percent within a year is damn cool, right? Like that's uh, you like when the markets are really really down, you get those opportunities. But yeah, Zen, you were going to say. I just want to defend my statement on if it goes up a hundred percent, you don't buy in. I like, listen, I understand what you're saying. Sometimes it'll keep going up, but I'm giving this rule of thumb because I have a completely different philosophy from Sefi where he says like, 
these these young men that are like buying in and losing everything are retarded and they deserve it. I disagree. I don't think they deserve it. They're set up to fail. They're told a bunch of nonsense and then they're set up to fail. I feel like it's completely well. All more, people. Wait, hold on one second. All people so can't win say, in the market. When it's I say possible. if it goes up a hundred percent, don't buy. It is a smart rule for people that are coming in and just starting to learn about this stuff. You're hearing all these people saying, oh, my God, it went up 100 percent. It's going to the moon. It is, I think, very, very good advice to say, do not buy. Just don't. There's always going to be but something else. But it depends. Else. If you it's don't a micro cap. You don't. I'm not upset. Yeah, so I don't even know about the things I've missed out on. Typically, I don't look in a, it. so like, in crypto, there's no reason. If you are missing out on making money, you're not losing money. That's not you losing something. You're losing nothing. You're free. You're okay. You can look elsewhere, somewhere that you can get in on a good position. You don't need to try to FOMO in to be a part of everyone else. Yeah, but there's also um, there's a component to this as well. Is like in a bull market for crypto, especially by the way. To get a confirmation that we're actually in a bull market, meaning like the, you've bottomed out and the long moving average is starting to, you know, kind of curve upwards, you're pretty much already at a three to five hundred percent by the time that occurs. So if take Chainlink for example, right now it's close to twenty bucks. The bottom was at five bucks. Does that mean that it's a bad buy at twenty? Not necessarily. It depends on your investment thesis. Now, is it a bad buy at a hundred? It's not nearly as good, obviously, but. It, but there's definitely like where you still have a lot of the meat of the momentum move in crypto. As long as you get in like at the relatively early part of the bull market, when only like a few hundred percent have gone up, you're still actually generally okay. Um, I, guess I, I think this especially is depends on your market caps too. You know that uh, old parable. No one's gonna listen to me because my advice is boring. My advice is that like go to bed on, at a reasonable time and exercise and like. You know that parable, slow and steady wins the race? If you're already in the fucking bull, just chill. Yeah, but... Wait until everyone's selling something and, and, and buy into something that you think will be here for a very long time. Then you just, you just said the same thing as Sefi. You, you literally just did the same thing as Sefi with that parable? No, no. He said if you're in a bull, then you're already up one to 300%. And I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying just skip. Just no, skip. one to three hundred percent out of like yeah, much, much higher than that. So, for yeah. example, take 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 Chainlink at twenty. Its top was at fifty four. Odds of it hitting that are quite high. That's still another three hundred percent away. And then the extension off the high, you know, that's another several hundred percent away. So the thing is, like, you've got a long ways to go typically. Um, and what oftentimes happens is like. So here's the thing. If you're Pete was against catching falling knives, and where I disagree with Pete would be, no, no, I catch I'm falling that knives all the, the way to the bottom loss. at scale. I'm against yeah. that with the stop loss because most stop traders loss, yeah, are yeah. taught to use stop losses. Yeah, yeah. No, no, forget stop losses. What I do is if I'm buying is for an investing, I will buy at larger scale all the way to the bottom personally. And then I will just hold those things. And especially if they're like things that I believe like I want to keep long term. Um, or they have dividends or something, and they're something that you can just leave them alone. So I'll buy them small, and then I'll scale in larger and larger all the way to the bottom. Because I know this much. This is the simple rule of all investing. If you happen to catch the bottom, you can get an easy 200%. The problem is 
finding the bottom. It's easy for anyone to say, by the way, oh, we're in a bull or we're in a bear. We know exactly what price is going to go down and what's going to go up, but nobody really does. So occasionally you have entire market crashes, like for example, in the stock market or crypto space or whatever, but not always. Like you could go like the, the, the stock market bubble lasted like 13, 14 years or something, right? It just kept on going up. So like people are dooming the whole way saying, oh, it's, you missed it, you missed it, whatever. And, um, or I'm waiting for it to crash and they sold out everything. So it was easy to time that wrong, um, no matter how like, like responsible you were going to be. So really like, it's like, if you want to be a value investor and you want to grab things when they drop, um, you have to have a pretty large laundry list of shit you're willing to buy. Otherwise you're not going to notice stuff that's down compared to the rest of the market. And not only that, but when things are down, remember they're down sometimes for a reason, like, oh, they didn't, the company didn't make much revenue this year or whatever. Um, You don't know that they're going to recover the next year and the next year and the next year. So when you're buying at the bottom, um, the market doesn't like that stock. And yeah, you're buying the blood. But at the same time, there's no guarantee that doesn't go down even more, right? So like if you're like Chainlink at $5, you might ask me like, why didn't you just take your whole net worth and buy Chainlink at $5? It was there like literally in October. It's because you didn't know it was going to go to a dollar. Like you didn't know for sure. So like, like you don't really know why it's at the price that it is. Like, why, you know, so this is the problem. And so you'll Another, never know I, the exact bottom. Let me, I've never experienced I, that. I also would. I also I would also strongly encourage people to look at the three month chart. Uh, I know that's like a really zoomed out chart, but the, the reality is when you break down a whole year of trading into four candles, you can clearly see support resistance zones. Just like Mara, I mean, just like uh, Mana right now. I don't know the fundamentals, but there's one that caught my eye. Filecoins caught my eye. If you go to the three month chart on these things. It's a clear. It, I mean, I'm looking at Filecoin right now. I don't know how much more picture perfect you want it to be. Mana is another one, but I use the three month chart. I go to the anytime I'm looking at a new stock or crypto, I go to the three month. I go to the one month. I go to the weekly, and then if it if it looks good on all three of those time frames, I go in, and, and, then, yeah. and then I'll start it's trying right. to find file, entries. File, file does look excellent, by the way. File looks. If, if you're looking at file, look at H bar. I'm in half a million dollars in H bar right now, and I think that has like at least say five x potential. At least file coin right now has a confirmed double bottom with a bullish golfing candle on the three month chart. Well, and and if this close, huh? On the file coin aspect, it's decentralized storage, which is like that's what it is, right, Pete? Uh, you got to catch bids. So this, the whole crypto market's about bid. It's all, it's a bid market. It, the technology to me is just, it's really good. Don't get me wrong. But if it doesn't catch bids, right, you got to see follow through. Um, yeah, it's a mixture. Cause like a lot of crypto is not about the tech and stuff and where you can get wrecked in crypto is thinking that yeah, the, believe the market in that. gives a fuck about your tech. They, they don't, don't always. Yeah, they, they don't, don't give a yeah. <laughs> Filecoin looks good because it had, the Filecoin looks good because last month, the last the last quarter, it closed above the resistance, came back, tested the old resistance as support, and and if it closes good on this this candle, then I would say that it was a confirmed breakout. But I love no, Filecoin. But, in fact, right. you know, I like the chart. I'm not going to wait for anything. I'm just going to buy a bunch right now. <laughs> like go. it's a good chart. It's it a is good a good chart. chart. Like yeah. So is Mana. Mana is a good chart. That's right at fifty cents. 
Like so, so so even though like this is an example of even though Filecoin has gone up from like you know February down to five bucks and now we're at eight. Um, I think the <laughs> likelihood of continuation is high because if you look at the longer term, like he said, if you go to like a you know yearly chart or whatever, like um, I love the you, three month, especially with stocks because it, it breaks fine. it breaks it every the three month chart to me is a secret chart because it breaks it breaks the whole year into four candles. Yeah, it's simple. Like, it's simple. It's, in this case, a, too, like, I, and granted, I didn't drop my whole life savings in. When I said I bought some, I bought it. And if it dips a bit, like, let's say we pull back, you know, 10, 20, 30%, I'll just add some to it and call it a day. Just ride this thing out for the bull market. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so just kind of give like a preface, right? So what, what, you, what I do is I take the previous three-month candle and I chop that up, right? So I'll go... Uh, 25, 25, 20. So 100% of that, 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 that range of price, divide the candle into fours and put buy orders on all places. So yeah. if we, if, if we, if the price comes down 25% of that candle, I'm buying. If it comes down another 25%, I'm buying, but I'm buying the range of price for the prior quarter. I would, I would adjust your strategy one way though, in that okay. I would, I would in crypto because the downside volatility is exponential. Yeah. You're gonna wanna you wanna size exponentially. So like maybe start at a hundred dollars and then go to first buy, then go to two hundred, then go I usually do uh, so I went I talked about this with a quantitative firm, like where there was a guy building a uh, he was building an actual like robotic platform for quantitative trading. And I told him my strategy, which is to go like uh one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. So basically just like, you know, like the binary system. Um, and, um, he said that like, it really like they found in crypto that especially in like altcoins and whatnot, your ratio should be like more like one, three, nine, 27. So multiples of three, uh, is even more conservative. So that way you, your, your bottom buy is absolutely like much larger than your initial buy. So your, 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 your cost basis is dropping substantially and you can obviously only do this and stuff that's not going to go to zero like obvious you know so the problem in crypto is like are there occasional you know projects or platforms that go to zero okay sure so you don't want to martingale into something or exponentially scale into something or what they call dynamic cost dollar cost average into something if it's something that with a high likelihood of going to zero you would only do this in something that you felt like probably would come back the next bull market and even then like pete said before allocations everything so like you know you, you only have to just buy five dollars of it and then you know the next buy would be 10 and the next buy, buy would be 20 you don't have to go crazy yeah you're hoping like, the market you're hoping yeah. the market gives you the opportunity to go big instead of you deciding right. to go right exactly okay. exactly yep. and then and, right. and the other way this works is like if you look across the market of both stocks and crypto there's always some shit taking a dip somewhere so I have a, like a general saying that something is dipping somewhere in the world all the time. So like some one of the things I do on stock market is I'll I'll go to the lists, you know, like the top losers list. So like for some reason, like some drug company or something that is not going to zero, like has a bad quarter or whatever, and you know they're down twenty percent or some shit, right? Then I'm like, okay, boom, I'll just jump in at that point. So because like twenty percent of the downside risk has already been mitigated already at that moment. Wait, do you and look I'll, into why or do you just buy? Uh, it depends. It depends. Good question. Like if it's just some company you've never heard of, like it's just complete, like whatever, 
then yeah, you're gonna have to look into why because just because something dipped 10% doesn't mean it can't dip another 90. So then you'd get into the why. If it's a company that I know about, like let's say it's a large, I don't know, pharma company or it's a large um, tech company or something like that, and they miss some earnings for some, especially if they miss an earnings because of a macro reason, like you know maybe like interest rates are high and therefore Porsche is not selling as many cars, then I'll buy Porsche at that point because there's nothing wrong with the company itself. And you might have some quarters or even years that they underperform because the the environment is not conducive to selling cars or something like that, right? So that's an example of where like, okay, I'll just scale, I'll start scaling in this way. Um, it has to be a company, you only scale into something in this manner if you believe that the company is not going to zero. But even if you thought it could go to zero, you could just basically allocate smaller. Your, your bid sizes should be really tiny. So that if you lose your money, if you lose all your money, you don't care. Like, okay, my 50 bucks is down the drain, whatever, right? Like you don't. So by having like these kinds of diversifications. So diversification to me is not just about whether or not you, like your whole portfolio goes to zero. Diversification is because if you have a portfolio with a bunch of shit in it, you'll know what's red on any given week. So all I have to do is go into my little whatever brokerage app and I just sort it by the, the worst performers in my entire portfolio. And then even then I'll take those and go, wait a minute, like out of the 10 worst that I have here, which of these should I add to? Should I add to the worst or should I add to the one that like maybe has higher dividend, but isn't going anywhere and maybe like macro is bringing it down and it'll go back up again, that kind of stuff, right? So you can then basically just scale in and into those things. And so the larger the portfolio you have in crypto and in, um, in stocks, the more stuff you're watching, the more likely you're going to see something so, so I'm, a, I'm a serial knife catcher is essentially what i do i buy everything but don't you care about the market cap when you do these things or for example sure. you mentioned filecoin and when i look at filecoin and i see um it's got a i think four billion dollar market cap right now and then you know i look at other things in the market and i think sure. okay well you know, this definitely by market cap, I'm not talking about the, you know, the growth or the history of the asset, but simply by market cap compared to, you know, the other assets that are competing with it. Um, it's like overvalued. Do you never yes. look at that? Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't care that much about Filecoin. I just happen to notice that what Pete noticed just now, which is that like, I'm using Pete's alpha here and saying, hey, like the chart looks good. I think it's probably good for continuation and therefore I'm gambling on a little bit of it and I'll probably sell it. I don't want to hold this fucking thing with like $15 billion fully diluted market cap or whatever. So I agree yeah. with you that yes, it matters for sure. Um, but like in this example, because the chart looks good, the chart basically tells you nobody cares about the market cap. The chart tells you that basically people are bidding it up one way or the other. And that's to Pete's point that like, what catches a bid and what's technically great and what has the perfect tokenomics, they're different things. And, and if this was, by the way, if this was not in the very beginning of a bull market, um, you know, and it was already like halfway to its prior high, by the way, its prior high is like $180, 180. It's now about $8. If it was 100 now, there's no fucking way I'd be touching this, right? But at eight bucks, uh, you know, could it run up a little bit? I don't really care. I mean, at this level, if it does a 2X, I'll sell it. I don't really care about Filecoin and I certainly don't like its market cap numbers. I agree with you. So if it does a 2X, I'm out and done with it. And then I'll jump into something else that has not run up. Like Zinn was saying, 
I'll find something else that maybe like something brand new or whatever. There's always something new coming out in crypto, by the way. Um, Why don't you always... do VC stage investments instead? I mean, I from what I heard from you, you do invest like quite a lot of money. Um, why don't you get into projects and like the private sa- private sales stage where you can literally get like I don't know, like thirteen x, fifteen x discounts? Honestly, it's because like I don't know, I'm too fucking lazy to do all that. That's <laughs> talking to people. Fair it's it's you can I mean you can do it like for sure, but the, there's that res, that results in several things. One is oftentimes you have to doctor yourself to all these different people. Um, the second is that like those things are not guaranteed to go up either. Number one, so you'd have to do multiple things. You'd have to invest in multiple VC stage things to do this angel investing and whatnot. To hold like section, some people are great at that. By the way, I'm not fading that. Like it's wonderful. Like people should angel invest in everything and. It's it's how new markets are created and how new products are brought in. So I love it. But like for me personally, like if I wasn't like in medicine and I'm already like, you know, my wife wasn't already busy and shit. Like she's working today and I'm I'm sitting here fucking around on Twitter Spaces after I came home from work. So the thing is, like if I was we weren't already busy, then it'd be like, all right, yeah, maybe I'll do all that shit, right? But like <laughs> there comes a point after which like I like to play on tw- uh, Twitter Spaces. I like to play on crypto. I like to play with some stocks. I have my usual IRAs and all the other bullshit, but like, I just, it's entertaining for me. And when you start, when I start getting deeper into VC, this and that, it becomes less entertaining for me. Like, so that's the only reason I don't do it. Like, to be fair, I think do what's fun. If you do what you like, you know, and you can sustain in terms of lifestyle or whatever, then you're much more likely to stick with some kind of plan or program. But you see, so you don't have to be everything for everybody. Like, you know how some people are like, ooh, I go in there and I buy bunches of NFTs and stuff. He's like, why don't you get into the next NFT thing? I'm like, because I can't be bothered to check on the fucking price of NFTs and marketplaces and figure out all that shit. Like, you know, which one to what? Oh, the whitelist thing? Fuck that. So the thing is, like, I'm not sitting around Discord, wipe, you know, like sniffing somebody's butt in order for me to get like whitelisted on something so that then I can go and like figure out when to sell it and whatever. And it doesn't make sense to buy the thing at cash value if a bunch of other people are getting the fucking thing for free. Like the entire thing makes no sense at all to me. Like, yeah, in the very beginning when Ether rocks and fucking, you know, punks and stuff were selling, okay, fine. Like there were some, you know, groups that made a lot of money, you know, but are you going to do this with every NFT thing now? Now that there's so many of them, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons I don't want to do that. It's just, it just divides up my time in a way that I don't enjoy. That's all it is. Agree. And the market dynamics of the NFT market are generally completely screwed because the liquidity of that market is completely different from a fungible token market because every single asset is unique inside one of these collections. So you don't have someone, you know, simply go to a collection and buy one of them. They choose a specific one. And yeah, I think, you know, the NFT market is probably... It was long term, I think, very unhealthy for crypto's image, and it damaged the industry significantly. And it also damaged what an NFT actually could be. You know, when you're talking about like real world asset tokenization, or when you're talking about you know using the NFT for some real utility versus you I, know unlocking another JPEG. Sale. I'm not. I'm not particularly worried about the 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 sort of like the the reputation of the industry kind of problems. Like 
every single thing that in crypto has caused reputational damage at some level. But then again, so do a lot of things in the stock market, like you know, solar companies that go literally to zero and stuff. So I'm not so worried about that. Like I think that like in the end of the day, good tech and use and and entertaining things will win out and people will make money off of them and people will continue to invest in them. I don't have a problem with that. In NFTs, like the only time I've sort of thrown money at things is when I don't intend to sell them. So for example, in Cosmos, if I have some friends and they have an NFT project, you know, I'll go buy their NFTs. Why do I buy buy their NFTs? Because I'm literally supporting friends and I'm supporting people that like are actually bringing attention to that particular blockchain for which I have money in. So for example, if I have money in Stargaze and I have the Stargaze token, I go buy a bunch of Stargaze shit just to support the community. Um, but I'm not there selling it. I'm like the like I'm raising the floor price essentially because I'm just buying, you know, a bunch of stuff and just not selling it ever. And um I don't actually really contribute to the trading volume or shilling the NFTs or anything else. I just buy it. And some of them if I enjoy the art, like I think it's fun. It's kind of cool. There's also a cool element of like, you know, if you buy some NFTs this year, it'll remind you of 2024. It's kind of a, it's almost like a photo album, of like what was happening in crypto at the time. And that's kind of a fun, like piece of it. Like I know, like I bought a bunch of different Cosmos NFTs, some that friends created and, you know, people in this space have created. And, and, and I look back at those and I'm like, oh, that was fun. Remember that time when, you know, we, <laughs> we all got together and like made fun of Joe and made kooky pictures of him and like posted them on Stargaze. And now I have Joe, Joe NFTs or whatever. So a lot of those kinds of funny, um, things I think is entertaining. So I think like in crypto entertainment is a good reason to be here. Like if you're buying NFTs because you think they're fun, all right, wonderful. Like get them, entertain people, support artists, do all that shit. That's all great. Um, but like, if you're just for me to go into it, to gamble on different prices, um, and I didn't want this to become an NFT discussion, but the point is like, do what you think is interesting and do what you think you have an edge in. Do what you think, if you had to get an edge, you have to spend a whole lot of time understanding the technical nuances of some sector of crypto or DeFi or whatever it is. Um, do what you think is interesting. And then out of that, like decide if there's an investment thesis for you in that thing. But it, the, the time that you spend, you're never going to get back, right? The time that you spend waiting for your bags to go up, that's not coming back. The opportunity cost of your bag sitting there doing nothing, that's not coming back. At least fucking have fun while you're doing it is my is my general like concept of this. So that way, it's like you look back on the previous two years of bear market. You know, oh, I had some good times. We met some friends. We had some great conversations. Whatever it was a whole lot of fun. So I think that's a thing in life that like as long as you're having fun, you know. And then on top of that, if like that fun can lead to you making money, then you it's a double whammy. Whereas if you're just in pain the whole time or you're just like suffering because you're watching your bags the whole time and you're not having fun, well, then now your life is shit and your money is not going up, which is a double loss in a sense to me. Yeah, you're saying? Uh, Morty, were you about to say something? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, just purely your opinion only. Um, uh, sorry to talk about Link all the time, but uh, what do you think would be a purely fair price to sell it at? Um, you mean like, where you're pretty sure it's going to get to and like you could sell it and be sure that you're making, you're in the game. Yeah. Let's say you're, let's say I was in your shoes today and um, just purely your opinion only, what would you say uh, purely good valuation on link would be? Um, so, well, what I am doing with, I'll just tell you what I'm doing with it. That way, you know, um, I think my average now is like 12 to 13. 
Um, I bought as high as like 15, as low as like around five to eight, right? That region. So my average is higher because I bought a lot more, more recently. In fact, I bought some on this recent dip just to 1780 and now it's 1850. So I add a little bit, small amounts, uh, when it's higher sometimes. And what, what's my thesis? Why did I get more yesterday? Why did I get more the day before? Because my thesis is it's rational for link in a bull market to reach numbers like a hundred bucks and higher. So therefore we're still like a five X from there. Um, at the very least, if I had to get out, like I needed my money for something, I got to go buy something. Um, and you know, what is a reasonable time period for link to reach say prior high? I would say it's highly probable within a six month time frame. Prior high is like 54 bucks, $53 or something like that. Again, we're down at 18, still a three X from here approximately. Right? So if you say, okay, well, a three X is not bad, you know, and say, well, I'd just like to get out when a three X and I'm done. That's fine. You know, go for it, do that. On the other hand, um, in my mind, it's actually difficult to find something with the fundamentals of Chainlink. There aren't that many things in crypto with those fundamentals. So it's like, wait a minute, should I like, un like, should I under, like, should I undersell it and like decide to like just exit too early? There is such a thing as just like taking all the time to figure out what the fuck something is and then not holding onto your bags properly. So that's what you call fumbling your bags in a sense. And it'd be like buying Bitcoin at like, you know, $1,000 and then like selling it at 2000 and being out of it. Like that's kind of a bag fumble if you think about it. You profited, yes, but at the same time, it's one of those things that you're not going to find another one like it very easily. And therefore, you should be more careful about it, right? So in this case, like from the perspective of Chainlink, it's like, yeah, can it reach like a FIB extension around 140-ish if you have a strong bull market? I think so. Uh, can it pull like an ETH run where it goes to like more like 250 plus for second cycle? It's possible. Um, so I think like somewhere in the 100 to 250 range, I, I don't know where it's going to go, is possible to get there. I'm, again, like I'm not saying it's guaranteed to get there, but it's possible. And therefore, for me, it's rational to hold for at least um, that region. Now, could I like exit some of my position? Could I say like, okay, at all time high, I'm going to sell 20% of it. And if it dips around that time, I'll just buy it back so that I can just you know increase my stack a little bit. Maybe because there will be some classic resistance points on the chart, like FIB levels, where you're almost always going to get some pullback. Because traders I have a question. Do you look at the um, new tokens that they released? So do you look at the market cap chart as well to understand, um, okay, well, last cycle they had no, this many not, tokens in circulation? You don't. Not you just in a bull market. By price. Not in a bull market. And the reason is because like the vast majority of market participants don't pay attention to any of that. They just bid it up based on what they think the price is going to go to. They don't actually know any of that. So what happens if you overwrite curve it here, overthink this, is that you don't realize how high these things can go um, when the sort of pumpamentals start coming in. So I agree with you that like the higher supply that is released in the market is a is a more overhead resistance, technically speaking. And if Chainlink is selling some, that's some overhead resistance, yes. But in a bull market, like, I mean, there is stuff out there right now. People are buying shit like, I don't know. Celestia and they're buying Say Network. I mean, the FDVs on those things plus the network, uh, the network, um, what do you call it, uh, inflation is substantially higher than whatever is the extra supply coming on the market with something like Chainlink. So, on the one hand, if you overthink this stuff, 
right? You take something with great fundamentals, you overthink it, you worry about something that no one else cares about. I think I'm not worried about that as much as a lot of people. There's definitely some people that FUD that, like they're like, oh, they're selling and whatever. But it's not like, if you look compared to so many other coins that have performed really, really well, I'm nobody, like a lot of people don't give a shit about any of that. Like XRP is a great example. The coin does literally nothing. It does nothing of utility that you have to own the coin for. I, I get it. It's like, you know, Ripple, whatever. And, you know, Ripple's doing interesting things with banks or whatever. But doesn't the coin value does not, is not needed to be at $40 billion or $30 billion. But yet there it is. So the thing is, like, with each bull market, um, a lot of stuff pumps to new bull market levels and creates new lows in the market. And, um, you know, I think, like, Chainlink is a good example. If you get a gigantic pump, let's say it goes to a new all-time high, and then it pulls back during a new bear market, what is the new bear market low for Chainlink? I'm guessing it's probably going to be in the $30 to $50 range, if not higher. So if I believe that $30 is the new bear market low, and right now it's at 18 bucks, like what more do I need to know, right? Even if you include all of the chaos of like supply and whatever else, right? But if you can get to a, some high, maybe you miss the perfect top, maybe you, you bag hold. As long as the new higher low is higher than what you buy it at now, it's better than most of the stocks I'm buying, right? Because if it goes from $18 and it settles in more like a 30 for the next bear market, I'm still doing pretty good, right? Compared to the stock market. That's why I can buy this at size because it's not overvalued relative to the future low I think it's going to have. Does that make sense? Like, So I guess, yeah. So I guess from what I'm understanding is you were discussing about Bitcoin fumbling your bag. From what, from what I'm understanding about Chainlink is you technically don't ever want to sell it, right? In theory, yeah. It's like, could it be the next Amazon or something of the crypto space? Yes. Because they're literally trying to connect everything to everything. Nothing else in crypto is at that scale. Nothing. That includes Bitcoin, by the way. Like Bitcoin's not connecting everything to everything. It's, it's quite truly failed at that exact problem. It's become an interesting store of value, but practically no one's accepting it for payments for anything. I mean, like practically no one, like in the real big, big perspective. So it has found product market fit in the store of value narrative. Whereas um, Chainlink's adventures are a little bit different. Now, people rightly criticized Chainlink in the past for the token not having particular utility and all sorts of other components. But what Chainlink has done is they've listened to the community and they have at least created reasons why you have to have Chainlink tokens to actually use the network and stake it for various security features of the new networks that are being built. And... Um, because the number of Chainlink node networks is basically infinite and is, is scalable infinitely, it doesn't require, it's not a blockchain, remember? So it, the, the token, you know, like you can't slow down the Chainlink network because all you have to do is add more computers and now it's faster, right? It's a, it's a very, very scalable system because it's not a blockchain. And um, if all of the different blockchains in the world do better, Chainlink does better. If people use their services and products, Chainlink does better. If TradFi connects things to Chainlink, Chainlink's coin does better. Not only that, but remember, a lot of crypto is based on narrative. So if a lot of different companies are connecting to Chainlink, let's say, for example, Swift banking system or the stock market system of DTCC or Ethereum uh, layer twos or Cosmos layer twos, whatever, every single thing that connects to Chainlink will create social media buzz and YouTube videos and fucking like, you know, news articles and all this other garbage, right? And you know that like, 
the one of the biggest problems if you've been in crypto long enough is one of the biggest problems is how do you dominate the news cycle over the long period of time and that's one of the hardest things to do and um like bitcoin had a big news cycle thing why because the etf 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 right it's all anyone talked about for the past year and now that it's approved it's like wait everyone's looking around going wait what are we going to talk about now with bitcoin like there's nothing left to say and so the question is like is it saturated because the at least in terms of media attention is it saturated luckily the etf continues to bring cash flows in so that's a different thing but yeah they're all talking stuff. about the inflow now now it's all yeah. about how much is coming in yeah, but at least you have a metric and you have a legitimate reason for cash to flow in, right? So at least that's fine. But my yeah, point yeah. is like, as far as like narrative, news narrative, what the fuck are you going to talk about now? Like, oh, look, my Bitcoin bag is going up. That's about all you can say now for the most part, or maybe like that's, a country is adopting or whatever. That's what the boomers want to hear though. So that's what they're going to put on TV. <laughs> sure, sure. But, but my point with Chainlink was that one of the- No, I know, I know. What's interesting about it is there's like, there's room for lots of, lots of recurring narratives. And most crypto chains do not have that capability at all. Like most chains out there have quite literally not only no narrative, but on top of that, their narrative is being diluted by tons and tons of other layer one chains and duplicate copies of DeFi projects to infinity. And it's quite literally no one cares anymore. Like when's the last time you have a, saw a DeFi project open up and you're like, oh man, I've got to throw my money at that thing. I'm going to go and like make millions on that you know, whatever protocol. For sure. I'm wondering one thing. Have you ever come across Hedera Hashgraph or HBAR? And if so, do you have an yeah. opinion on that? Yeah, Hedera and um, and uh, Constellation DAG and some of these DAG type things are interesting. Um, I don't follow them enough. They're They're very scalable. I don't follow them enough to make any kind of like big sort of useful like sweeping statements about whether they're investable or not. I do know that they have had issues with traction in terms of bringing in crypto speculators because yeah. maybe they're just so boring that nobody gives a shit. And that's another thing, by the way, you could have good tech. Maybe they're good tech. Maybe they're not. I'm not saying, I don't know either way, but the point is you could have good tech that no one cares about. And that happened during the, yeah. the, the during the t history of tech, a lot of companies had that problem. And you, you don't hear about them anymore because they died. So well, it is, the thing it is, is important you know, to have shillability. For sure, yeah. You know, these folks, they're, they were like very much focused on the enterprise. So, you know, they have Google, IBM, Boeing, uh, Dell, and like 31 companies in total running the network and governing it. And they're basically very afraid of somehow getting screwed by regulators. So... They don't do a lot of, they didn't do a lot of retail marketing, but now they're starting to do that. And, you know, uh, the government of Saudi Arabia just invested $200 million into um, creating a venture studio that purely builds on top of this technology. And um, it, it uses something unique called Hashgraph technology. Um, which this dude from the uh, Air Force called Dr. Lehman Baird invented. And the cool thing is he's now invented something new that enables decentralized wallet recovery. And that's uh, together with Algorand and a couple more chains being implemented across the entire industry, hopefully. Um, so I think you should look a little bit deeper into HBAR if you have the time, yeah. and I'd be very happy to help you with that as well. And, and, and for sure, yeah. decentralized wallet recovery is a like important uh, function or abstraction that the end user does need. 
So yeah, if they're building cool stuff, that's awesome. Like, and in a bull market, remember everything sort of catches a bid. Um, but um, let me grab a couple of new folks that jumped up real quick before Zen. Um, Jeff, did you uh, have something to say about any of this? Oh my God, he's got like an echo in a bathroom. Are you in the sewer or something? Yeah. Wow. Thanks for that. Yeah, that sounds terrible, but what is that? <laughs> sounds like he's in the sewer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh my Thank God. you. Thanks so much. <laughs> Have a great day. Okay. Maybe I can I can get it's a completely inaudible, but it's hilarious. Huh? Mm, uh, Dan, you're we can okay. say something. Yeah, I want I want to say something. Thanks a lot that I get the opportunity to speak. My short question would be, I see that you also post a lot of information regarding um, Zephyr Protocol, and I read a lot of this project on X as well from other influencers. My question would be, uh, I'm from Germany, and I know that Europe and German government, they want to forbid the privacy coins. And I don't know how the situation is in the U.S., but uh, yeah, this this project seems le uh, le legit, and yeah, they are back with a lot of money yeah. behind that. The, it cannot happen can, like we have it with Luna. But the point I can is cover that. Yeah. So basically, privacy coins with ring signatures, in particular, is something that um, Europe is against, um, and therefore, like if you want to buy the coin in Europe, uh, you would have to use a um, a VPN and go to an exchange uh, and go do that. It's not technically illegal to use a VPN to go use an exchange and buy it overseas. You just, the those exchanges simply can't sell it to European customers like knowingly. Um, there's the thing about uh, Zephyr is because it's self-contained, you can convert from ZSD to Zephyr within the wallet. That mitigates some of the issue of having to have a centralized exchange at all, number one. Second thing is, um, oh, the question of U.S. U.S. It's not banned to use privacy tokens. In fact, if you go to Kraken or Coinbase right now, you can find privacy tokens as we speak. So that's not a problem. Uh, that's not to say that it won't be a problem in the future. Um, Elizabeth Warren's, um, she's one of the uh, the Democratic senators in the U.S. Her uh, uh, legislation that she was supporting would try to ban these things. So that can have a role, but at the same time, there's a lot of fringe exchanges out there that want to use, that, that basically don't care about what governments say or don't say. They pop up all over the place and people create ways to buy and sell these things. So the more pressure there is against the government, there's always someone available to create an alternative. So Monero is a good example. The dark net on the internet is a good example. It still exists today. Um, plenty of different like places to, to do these things. Now, here's the thing, Dan. If I was buying Monero mostly, and the market cap was like two to three billion dollars, then I'd be a lot more nervous about this. But in a crypto bull market, early in the bull market with a market cap of like 50 or 60, 70 million, the upside is really, really high. And the asymmetric bet I'm placing is that in a bull market, it can catch a bid um, just like everything else. And I, I, you know, in my head, I'm projecting numbers for Zephyr of one to three billion market cap. Why do I project this? Because if you look at Monero, which is two to three billion dollar market cap, um, and it has a, a Zephyr's hash rate has already surpassed it. So to me, like it's a pretty good asymmetric bet on the 
that like on the bull market generally. It's not to say that like, is it the only thing in a bull market you can buy? No, there's a lot of stuff that small cap is going to pump. So, but like the privacy narrative speaks to me, the conversion from like stable coin to unstable coin speaks to me. The fact that you have a proof of work coin in the form of Zephyr within the ecosystem, I think that's important. Luna and others didn't have that. Um, and then Haven, which is another project similar to this that failed, it failed because it uh, used an algorithmic system versus a over collateralized system. So with this, it solved almost all of the problems of all the other stablecoin systems and privacy systems that have come before it. And having been in a variety of those and watching them crash and understanding exactly why they crashed, like talking to Do Kwan and other people, like I have a better sense of what the fuck this is all about. So like, that's why I was a little bit more aggressive in my purchases of Zephyr. It's why I think it's interesting. I think the team has put together a very interesting concept. It's not risk-free, by the way. So nobody should construe it as such. Um, like, you know, I have a sizable bag of it and I want it to go up. So that's my bias and that's my disclosure. Um, so like, um, we take everything else with a grain of salt, assume it can go to zero, um, as I do. And, um, you know, like there's team tokens. Could they sell a bunch of it? And when I say zero, like, I don't think the protocol is going to go to zero. It's basically on random X and, um, Monero has been running for quite some time on that without new hitch, but like, could it go to zero from the perspective of like, I don't know, an Oracle risk or something, or maybe it could go to zero because like the team sells all their tokens all of a sudden and dump jeets on you. Or something like that, right? Like it's possible for problems to happen. So I never say that like it's completely safe. Of course, no one's going to remember this conversation. They'll only remember the bullish tweets and stuff. So it is what it is. But like, I think it's uh, it's worth my risk. It's worth my time. Um, and it's and it's a project I think I believe in. Number one, in terms of like it being a useful thing, and I believe in it from the perspective of it being useful for me. So if this project is at a billion market cap with half decent liquidity it has personal utility for me that i want to use this for that's why i'm in it because it, let's say if i was in monero when like the market cap was 50 million and now it's like 3 billion i would be quite happy with my monero bag even though it went from 10 billion down to 3 billion or whatever this is a similar situation it's early enough that like if it moons great if it doesn't i probably won't lose very much anyway because the market cap is so small that um like, you know, it's, it'll probably come back up. Does that make sense? Like, uh, you know, I, I think it's bullish at this chart at this price level. I won't necessarily. Yeah, I, complete, I, com I completely get your point. Really, really good uh, explanation. But, uh, and, and also one of the thing, Dan, one of the thing, Dan, um, there are quite a few coins that are on only like one or two exchanges. Like, for example, it might be on Mexi or Trade Ogre or whatever. There's like Cubic and some other ones. And Cubic's like on Safe Trade and Mexi. Those are tiny little exchanges. And it has like, there's like a 500 million market cap or some bullshit. Like you have these numbers on some of these coins that are obscenely high for projects that are like a fraction of the utility of this. So I feel comfortable with the upside in a sense that I'm willing to hold it. Does that make sense? Like, so comparables makes, in the market. Makes completely sense. And, I and, also I yeah. also get in this project somewhere at eleven to thirteen dollars, and yeah, I, yeah. I I I didn't know, for example, that I cannot buy it normally if I'm living in Germany because I can I don't use a VPN server. I can normally buy it on Maxi. Maybe this is because Maxi is sitting maybe somewhere on Cayman Island or uh, and yeah, I think Maxi I believe is in either Singapore or Seychelles or somewhere, and they are yeah. I mean, they'll eventually have to. They'll probably get 
you know, bothered by OFAC and whoever also eventually. Um, so they're not going to be like, you know, it's not going to be available forever, but that's the key is making sure that because it's such a small market cap. And by the way, this bull market, like, here's the thing, the bull market could last like, I don't know, um, let's say a year. As long as like nothing happens within a year, like, you know, like, and I switch from Zephyr to ZSD and then later I can slowly bleed out my ZSD into Zephyr and sell it at some point in the future if I have to. Well, great. So the, the nice thing is like, I don't have to rely upon the exchange to trade this thing to some extent. That's a nice uh, feature. This, this would be my next question. So I, if I have my, my, my cons on, on their wallet, I can directly swap them uh, in the wallet. Instead of yes. bringing them back to Maxi and sending it, uh, yeah, there are stipulations that the fee, the fee is high and it's the moving average price of Zephyr that's used for the conversion. So be careful. Um, if you want the best price in terms of selling, it's just going to be to go back to uh, Maxi. But if you have a large bag like I do, and if I sell it all at once, it's going to cause the price of the chart to dump. Then it's better for me to convert to ZSD because then one, I won't face the slippage of my own sale. But also, I won't dump the chart for everybody else. Does that make sense? Like, so it provides Excellent. whales an opportunity that you don't have in other coins, and that's one. Yeah, of the yeah I, I, I understand. I, the only question would be, like, like you said, for example, if my back is high, then as as well in the bull market, if we do from here maybe a twenty to fifty x somewhere in in between, and uh, in one year maybe there's not anymore the possibility to send it to Maxi because they bent it and cannot sell it in Europe anymore. Then I need to take the opportunity to uh, sell it or to switch yeah. it to the to the stablecoin directly on the wallet. And some of the guys are building a little decks that convert like mm, Zeph and ZSD to things like Monero and convert to things like um, Bitcoin and stuff. So there's going to be some atomic swap possibilities as well. So if your bag is gigantic, you you know you well number one is something like this. Your bag should not be gigantic. Like it should be reasonable such that if the thing does 100x, you're really happy. And if it goes to zero, you're not really losing out too much anyway. This is what I would recommend generally. Like, like set your expectations yeah. like that. Yeah, you understand know. completely. But may, maybe then as well, one, one, one last question. I don't want to disturb you, the, 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 the chat. Like, like you said before, some, some coins like Cubic, where also a lot of people are talking about, and I already always see how gigantic is the is the technology behind uh, what the people are telling and what they are sharing why is this project or such a promising project still only on this shady um, exchanges available i, I, uh, I don't know the, the reason simple it has to do with how do you get coins to be added to new exchanges so if you have a fair launch project which is a team project The problem is like that you have to pay a lot of actual, you have to give away a lot of your coins to those exchanges to list them. And they sell those coins and they've, you know, they might sell half of them for stable coins or something. And it causes the price of your coin to drop. And you basically like have the market makers counter trading against your users. So the, the reason why, yeah. so on the one hand, being on more exchanges uh, can be lucrative if a lot of new users come on board. In the early stages, it can actually be quite negative and make your coin price suck during a market where it otherwise would do fine. So a lot of these small coins, nobody really cares which exchange they're on. People these days that are buying these coins at the smallest part of the like market cap range, these are not like retail users that are newbies, right? These are people that have been here for a year or two or three 
They're the ones buying yep. it. They're they're comfortably fi- they're perfectly comfortable going to any exchange they need to to sign up and get a get the coin. So, um, what I'm saying is like if you give a bunch of money to um, a large exchange like a KuCoin or a Binance, then uh, you should do this after your your coin already moons to a much higher price. So let's say Zephyr, as an example, let's say it gets to a billion market cap. Okay, wonderful. That's a great time to get it to list on KuCoin or some shit. A bunch of new retards on KuCoin will bid the thing up. They'll put in like, you know, they'll put in a bunch of like, what do you call it? Um, leveraged orders and they'll pump your bags. They'll, so there's a lot of liquidity that shows up there. And, um, you know, and it actually functions as good exit liquidity for you who want to sell later on. But what you don't want to have happen is a bunch of T-run exchanges get set up where the team has to give them a bunch of Zephyr tokens and that creates selling pressure. And now it keeps your market cap down. And you know what the, the first rule in crypto is? The first rule in crypto for, for teams is price is the strongest meme of all. Like there's no, like it's not the tech that people buy, whatever. If price is going up, people buy and pe- people buy, the price goes up. And so therefore, like anything that you do to mess that equilibrium up, you have to spend a way more time in marketing and other things to sort of compensate for this. So I'm actually against microcaps going to lots of exchanges unless unless they're VC funded. So VCs are funding them and they have a budget they've already set aside that they already put actual real world cash. Like let's say, like, you know, Coinbase Ventures or whoever the hell else, they, they provide like five or $10 million worth of liquidity and they are already providing that. Then of course, like, yes, you know, the whole point of buying a VC owned coin is because they're going to pump your bags and they're going to pump it based on the market makers they choose. And they're going to pump it using the, the bags that they supply with actual cash. And they will eventually dump on you too, though, with VC funded coins. But at the same time, the initial pump and pumpamentals are different. So be aware that there is a difference between coins that are VC funded versus the ones that are like more fair launched community type projects. And the community type stuff is the ones that could be very legit, by the way, like, you know, Bitcoin didn't have a lot of initial liquidity or anything like that, right? Someone had to provide it. So fair launch tokens like Caspa were very popular this last year. Uh, Zephyr is a fair launch token. Um, and there's a variety of other ones. But you'll notice that space as well, I think, right? What's that? Space as well. A lot of people, uh, the, the I'm Bitcoin not 100% yeah, I'm not 100% sure you'd have to look that up. But like, the point is like fair launch projects that don't have a bunch of VC money or whatever, that can be a plus side and a minus side, depending on how you look at it. So as long as people understand the dynamics of that, then you can go into buying these things with a lot better like strategy. Um, this is why like with Zephyr, because I have a defined team token quantity. I know, and I'm fine with the team selling, by the way. If the team wants to dump on me, that's my bit, like, I bought the coin knowing that there's a certain amount of team tokens. I'm fine with that. Like, I'm not going to sit there and whine about it. It's good. It's, yeah. If they need to sell, fine. Whatever they need to be profitable, great. If they'll keep continuing building the chain, awesome. If they keep maintaining things the way it should be, great. If they just simply dump on the community and just simply leave, that's not cool. Um, on the other hand, if the if the chain is completely you know, maintenance-free and you don't have to do anything, well, that's fine too. Let them sell whenever they feel like it. But the thing is, like, I don't, have an illusion about that. I'm fine with it. The same way I'm fine with Chainlink selling them some of their tokens. Um, it's the same way I don't have a problem if certain types of stock they have to dilute their stock to you know buy, raise funds or something. It just depends on the situation. But a lot of people don't really sort of like delve deep into that stuff. 
And then, you know, they get worried about it later. Like, oh, my God, what if the team sells some of this or that? Like, you know, what did you think was going to happen when you bought the token? <laughs> you know, like, it's like <laughs> a lot of people, what happens, though, you know how it is. Like, you buy a token. And then the price goes down and then you start doing a bunch of research and you start going to discord. You're like, wait, my bags are down. What happened? It's like coping behavior. And during that coping behavior, you hear a bunch of people fighting your bags. You'll be, oh, the team is selling this, that, whatever. And what happens is you start to believe all that FUD or maybe it's a legit FUD, but it was there at the time you bought the token too. You just didn't know it at the time. That's where <laughs> newbies make mistakes sometimes too. in these token purchases that like, when they say do your own research, people really don't have an incentive to do their own research until they have a bag. Because imagine if you have a $10,000 bag of Zephyr, all of a sudden you're really, really interested in what the fuck it does. If you have a $5 bag of Zephyr, what do you care what it does? Right? Like, you know, if it goes to zero, you don't care. And if it goes to 10x, great, wonderful, right? It's like a lottery ticket. Hey, Zephy, I have a question for you. Hmm. Like, you know, I, in this topic, I just want to ask like hypothetical questions. Like what if a developer were invented a privacy enhancing technology and without the inclusion of any cryptocurrency or token, you know, would what, such I miss what you said. Yeah. I mean, the developer invent a privacy enhancing technology, but you know, without the inclusion miss, of any cryptocurrency. What enhancing? I didn't hear you. Like, like a developer builds some kind of mixer or some kind of technology or privacy and enhancing oh, products. Privacy. Okay, yeah, have yeah. privacy products, but they didn't include any cryptocurrency tokens or, and you know, well, there, they invented there any kind of is one. There currently is one. Like that's exactly what Chainlink is working on. It's working that's on like, a privacy component that doesn't run on a blockchain specifically. It runs in like a separate privacy sorry mini hash network or like a, a graph network and it's parallel to blockchains and things so yeah there's stuff like that coming out for sure yeah so my my question is like would such innovations like still face regulatory hurdles and despite some you know didn't invent any, any kind of digital currency you know it's, basically it's anything anything that allows you to send money a large amount of money to an illicit individual like for example if you know, any technology that allows you to buy, like, I don't know, a missile launcher or sort of like, you know, like some uranium or something without being traced, that's going to become technically at some level brought under scrutiny. So yeah. partial privacy where something's private by default. But if someone came and asked you, hey, by the way, show me your records, you're able to produce these records for them. then that's like a different type of technology. So that would be like secret network. And you, that's much more likely to be legalized, right? Because like, basically the bottom line is like, if, if a regulator had to look at your shit, can they look at it? Now, there are examples where the regulator can't look at your shit. Say for example, your smartphone. Um, you are not required to provide your password and username for your phone in the, in the United States at least. If a cop catches you and whatever, and you, you know, your phone is basically like your internal brain, they have to break into it to be able to access the information on it or break into some of the other networks that you work with, like Google or Apple or whoever you have your crap with to be able to sort of get that information. So if an investigator can break in and get that information with, a, with the permission of a judge, then they can get in there. With things like Zephyr yeah. Protocol or Monero and stuff, the difference is 
is it that nobody is there that can be compelled to provide this information because yeah. you don't even have this information to provide. <laughs> Basically the system doesn't allow it. And that's, what's beautiful about it. And that's why it's going to survive. Like the, there are people that are going to want Monero and they're going to want things like Zephyr, no matter what planet we live on. And like, people are not going to shut down their Zephyr miners. Like I have a Zephyr miner. I can mine it in my house. I can mine it in my work, whatever. And there's nothing prevent, there's nothing illegal about mining it. And so, in fact, it's impossible to stop. Are we going to stop people from having computers? So that's what's bullish about Zephyr is that like, anytime you can create a proper decentralized network that can't be shut down, you'll find decentralized marketplaces to exchange the actual coins at some point. But what Dan was saying is, is it possible that that's going to affect you, the market cap that you can reach? Sure, because like, the, the more friction you create for liquidity to come into that particular coin, the less upside it has, less growth potential it might have, right? I mean, the, the, the project, which project? The build some technology, technological innovations, advance, advancement, because you know the, they focused into some some kind of privacy rights of people, and why the regulators will, you know, hurt them or attack them or address them. I mean, I did, I didn't get the concept. Why regulator will add up? You know? Well, I, I think with Tornado Cash, for example, that those guys got. Um, those guys got arrested. I don't know exactly what happened, but I think it wasn't just that they created a privacy thing. They got a, accused of specifically facilitating certain types of bad guys, um, rinse, you know, washing their money. Um, I don't think it was simply just creating the code in that particular instance. I haven't seen the court documents or whatever, but I think there was more to it than that. So they they try to pin some sort of crime on those guys. Um, and so I think it's important for something like Zephyr Protocol or whatever to be completely anonymous, you know, and, and people try to stay I mean, fully anonymous. Yeah. So what, what if Tornado Cash, instead of launching its own token, purely focused on offering some, it's mixing technology, you know, would this approach shield them I don't from? Think, I, don't think, uh, I don't think Tornado Cash had a token. I could be wrong, but like, I think it was just a mixer. They made money off the fees from the mixer, basically. And by the way, there's nothing about the mixer that you can't just copy and duplicate, right? So it's it, it's it's almost silly to like um, arrest the guy that creates it when you can pretty much create as many versions as as you want. Like the classic example I provide that everyone sort of knows about is BitTorrent networks. So BitTorrent is the you know the file sharing network, and they still haven't shut it down because anybody can run on their computer. Uh, you'd have to shut down the entire internet to make you get rid of it. It's impossible. So, so they just, like, eventually, just don't even worry about it. So regulators, regulators would still scrutinize, scrutinize these these projects if the nature yeah. nature of service based on privacy. You know, that's what yeah. it would. Yeah, and, and there's certain things like certain things in 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 the, on the internet that I think many people would agree they don't want to see there. Like, for example, child por child pornography. Many people don't want to have like. Uh, their kids kip kidnapped via dark dark web types of things. Many people don't want to have ransomware attacks. I think most most of us would not want to have ransomware attacks of our data or of our hospitals or whatever. Um, you probably don't want to have like um, sort of like terrorists and militants and shit funneling money around and blowing up your 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 house or something or your neighborhood or your town. Uh, so there's plenty of bad actors out there. Um, so the, the counter to sort of privacy would be there are reasons why 
you know, if you want your kid back, you know, like you want, you want that, the money trail to be identifiable so that someone can get your kid back. Right. So I think any one of us here in this room, if it affected us negatively um, to give up some of our privacy or wish we could in order to solve for a specific outcome. Like, you know, so at some level, it's not just that regulators are bad people. It's that people themselves want those folks to bring that their children back at one point, right? And so you, they're going to need the tools to do that. I mean, if you're comfortable, com pretty comfortable with the idea that if your kids, you know, were kidnapped, you're fine with it. Well, I guess that's a different story. There's very few people that are like in the crypto anarchist crowd or like the pure libertarian crowd or what I like to call militant li libertarians. There's very few of those people, by the way, that aren't hypocrites about this sort of thing. So when things are going fine, they're like, oh, yeah, like, OK, power to the people, you know, perfect privacy for everybody, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, when something happens to them, they're the first person that runs to the cops and wants something done. And they're like, hey, how come the cops aren't doing anything for me or whatever? Where's my taxpayer money going? This type of talk. So, I don't know. Like, you know, they, these, they, these, these regulators are stupid, you know, you know, because they are focusing on the, they are not focusing on privacy. What if the bad actors, I mean, the missile seller or buyer, like terrorists, buy your data and, you know, you know, they are train train their AI models and create some algorithms, and they in future they can do some terrible stuffs with these things. So why this privacy? If some developers, you know, build some kind of privacy rights or privacy tools or privacy technology, why would they face these things? I don't understand these things logic. Uh, well, the, the simple thing is it's much uh, technology comes much sooner than society and regulators can have a chance to figure out what to do about it. Um, it's and not only that, but it's very difficult to stop technology from, you know, it's like a Pandora's box. If like for take, for example, once you realize that DNA was how human beings worked, then it was it was possible for eugenics to be a possibility. Uh, you could make eugenics illegal, which in some places it is, um, to do germline modifications to DNA, for example, is not something allowable in the West, generally speaking. Um, but you start seeing that, like, even in the U.S., for example, people like, ooh, I want to I have a girl or I want to have a boy. And so they basically, like, you know, select basic, you know, sperms and eggs to try to you know, develop a specific sex, for example. So you, you start seeing creep and slowly people start wanting those things. Society wants those things. And then, of course, the regulators have to compensate for that. So all of these things, even smartphone um, uh, cryptography, um, some regulators want full access to your phone because they're like, well, how are we going to fight crime if we, we can't do this? And here's, by the way, like the public blames stuff. They don't catch the perpetrators, too. They're like, oh, these cops are useless. They're stupid. They don't catch anybody. Well, duh, because like, they can't find, they don't have the information. How are they going to catch anybody? So the thing is, like, the, the public both scrutinizes authoritarians or police or any of these people for the things they do bad, but they also scrutinize them when they don't do the things that are supposed to be good. And so they, there's no, it's a it's a lose-lose for those guys, essentially. Um, and uh, it's just a, like, again, it goes back to my thesis that everyone's a hypocrite some of the time about some things, um, either in magnitude or in, uh, like, or absolute. Uh, 
that's kind of the idea. But, anyway, but you know um, what the issue is, uh, if I may touch upon this, the value that is locked in things like airline miles, in-game currencies, um, and you know all sorts of values that are not on a blockchain, but within these closed-off systems that can, however, be exchanged for other things. So, for example, for instance, you can you know take your airline miles and turn them into an Amazon gift card, and then turn the Amazon gift card into a physical product, and then turn the physical product into cash, and then finance terrorists literally through your airline miles and the value that is locked inside of these um you know units that are unaccounted for within these closed off systems is 50 trillion dollars i mean compared to the crypto market cap that's you know significantly more it's like 25 times the crypto market cap so, yeah, it's like it's like funding a it's like funding a terrorist with your EverQuest gold. Yeah, pretty much. Like this world stuff is Warcraft, World of Warcraft gold. Yeah, they're doing it. They're doing it with Roblox, and, and law enforcement doesn't knew doesn't know what to do about it. You know, um, they really don't know what to do do about it. And there's, there's nothing they can do about it. Well, we just we're just gonna live in a more. Um, we're just going to live in a world that that's possible. That's all there is to it. Well, they could enforce um, by regulation for, for example, gaming companies or um, you know airlines for their miles. They could enforce by regulation that they use um, blockchain technology or you know similar distributed ledger technologies that enable at least something like time stamping. Um, to basically at least get the transaction flows right um, instead of this current black yeah, box. I, now, here's the thing. Like, I do have a thesis, by the way, that actually, while, while technically speaking, the vision of Bitcoin was to sort of free us all at some level, uh, it also could be the, the reason why we're all enslaved as well. So oh, definitely, like, what, definitely. what you're describing, I mean, peer to peer electronic cash, what does peer to peer electronic cash mean? It means that I can give you something electronically without anyone but you and me knowing that I gave you this cash. I mean, that is literally peer to peer electronic cash. Something like Bitcoin is quite the opposite of peer to peer electronic cash because you're essentially tracing every single transaction. Yeah, in fact, Satoshi's, you saw Satoshi's emails that got released this week, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I about it. Is that real? I saw something. Is that real? Yeah, it's real. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's real. real. It's real. And, and what's interesting is he makes a very good point, and that is that like, he decided not to have privacy by default initially because he felt it would attract too much attention early on. And therefore, like he made a design decision, but he 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 understood exactly what you're saying, which is, if I like go buy you know coffee at Starbucks, people know the contents of all the transactions that reach my wallet for the end of time. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like if I go buy coffee at Starbucks and I have a hundred Bitcoin in my wallet, why should the person at Starbucks know this? Right? It doesn't make any sense. So by not having a privacy layer, it's actually an attack vector against the sender and the recipient wallets. And um, so this is why I like, and now you understand why I like separate protocol. Yes, exactly. And like all, all, everything we just talked about is why on the one hand, I like Chainlink because like it's verifiable truth, which solves what you talked about, which is like, how do you regulate different components of the internet and make all this stuff connected? 
So the traditional um, connectivity and the traditional finance and the traditional sort of like light web, as it were, is going to be connected with Chainlink. On the other hand, the non-traditional or like the privacy-centric is going to be necessary, and that's something like Zephyr. So uh, like I don't have this tribalism where it's like I don't understand the nature of privacy and I don't understand the nature of public and the interconnectedness and everything. I get it. I understand the nature of all of these things. And I can see the value proposition in niche environments for each of these things. And that's why I have a bunch of Chainlink and I have a bunch of Zephyr, which seems paradoxical. Like, why do you have these two things? They seem to be like the complete absolute opposite of each other in many ways, right? It's like, it's like, it, they truly are. There are two opposites of, on the internet of like, um, I would say Chainlink is the absolute opposite of Zephyr, you know, if you're taking the SAT or something, <laughs> like what, what is the most least like this thing? It's that thing. Yes. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I just want to say something like, you know, so did you watch the Al Pacino's Scarface movie? It's been a long time, but yes. Yes. If like, you know, I used to hear about that, that movie is inspirational and many people become criminal because of Al Pacino's that kind of super, you know, superb acting. So I think Al Pacino yeah, yeah. should, Al Pacino should, you know, apologize to these mothers and their family in front of Congress. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he really should. It's his fault, yeah, right? It's, a, it's, it's his fault. This is why these guys become criminals. And just like Mark Zuckerberg did, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Pacino. Um, yeah, the Godfather movies are great. You know what? I don't know if you guys have seen the other movies. Yeah, yeah, um, I really liked The Devil's Advocate. I don't know if you guys like that one. Or not. They all should apologize to their mothers and those children become criminal because watching these movies, you know, they all should go into, you know, in front of Congress and apologize to their mother, just like, you know, or Mark Zuckerberg. apologize to their mother. <laughs> That's funny. They probably should. Seppi, maybe last question. Uh, I asked you before regarding uh, at a point that Zephyr Protocol and XMR, for example, have a, f uh, have a bright future also in terms of regulations. For example, if we say after this bull run somewhere in 2026, 2027, we have much more regulation in the world. Do you think this, I don't know that if any government will give a protocol an opportunity that people can do transactions uh, where they don't know anything about. So do you think this privacy coin narrative will happen and, and, and future also not for this bull run, also for a longer time period that we can... Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a constant battle. Um, basically, uh, governments are going to want to... There's going to be a, certain people in government that want to get rid of something like this and other people that understand the value of it. Um, where it becomes a factor is typically once enough politicians realize that all their financial transactions can be tracked 24-7 by anybody, then you'll start seeing the push for privacy. Because politicians always have to have a way to scam everybody, right? Like that's a given. There's no country in which the politicians don't get rich. None. So therefore, like in order to continue that process, they're the ones that will be the one that realize when, when they can't make enough money because like, oh, all this stuff is open. Yeah. Then they'll be the ones going, okay, you're like, this happened with smartphones now, right? Like, you know why we don't have legislation to make it so that all smartphones have a backdoor on them? 
the reason is because it would ruin the politicians' lives. That's why they don't you don't have that. But just to answer Dan your question regarding you know the future of these things. So actually, what happened a couple of weeks ago? Binance issued a list including Monero, Firo, and a couple more of these um, privacy coins that they would be a de- they were under review basically to be delisted. And one of the interesting things that happened was that, you know, there's this one Denver-based privacy coin company called Firo. And what they did, they basically created a second type of doing transactions where it is traceable. And then if so for the exchange, they would basically enable that type of transaction. So you could only... You know, you, you could take out your Firo out of the exchange, but it would be traceable to where you took it. Um, but then within the Firo wallet, you were able to do the transaction um, anonymously. So only your exchange on-ramp and off-ramp is likely going to be impacted with these dual um, transaction type mechanisms that are being implemented within privacy coins. Um, and the other thing is, you know, there is a... And by the way, Binance could Binance could KYC all of their users now, but the problem is, is that like the KYC process is terrible and not very accurate. People can scam that. And so that's where they're getting in trouble. And so when OFAC and whatever go to Binance and say, hey, by the way, have you reported this, this, and this? And we're going to shut you down if you don't like, you know, comply with this stuff then they're not able to actually provide that data. So that's where they're getting in trouble. Um, And it's just so like, I mean, I would be worried about all this stuff from the perspective of Zephyr Protocol if like we were at, I was investing and we're at a much larger market cap. We're so early now and so early in a bull market that I think it'd be like, yeah, Monero dumped from like 3 billion market cap to like 2.2 billion market cap within a few days of delisting. And like, at this point, we don't have any exchanges that really have very much um, Zephyr, for example. So, you know, there's no, it had no impact whatsoever on the price of it because they delisted Monero or whatever. So I think the beauty of this is like, as long as you can create decentralized like DEXs um, and decentralized chains and there is no actual central authority, well, then now you have a big winner. And it is possible theoretically to take something like a ThorChain and fork it into a black box privacy chain in which case you can't really shut it down because you can have it sufficiently decentralized to make that really hard and then of course like you know you have the ability to transact in your privacy tokens so some of the people in the privacy community feel like okay with things like binance delistings and whatever it's going to dramatically increase the desire for people to innovate and push into creating privacy dexes so i actually bought uh, monero on this dump I bought it at like, I think an average of 120 or so. And I figured that like at the beginning of a bull market, I get a coin that capitulates because this Binance delisting, uh, the upside's really, really good. And I'm just going to buy it and hold it. So I actually picked it up. Is anyone ever going to call on me? You can just talk whenever you want, Zen. What's this calling on your business? I just like being acknowledged. It makes <laughs> me feel welcome, safe. Okay, Zen. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, Sophie, I have a question for you again. I think this is my last question. Uh, by, by the way, I usually put my hand up when I'm AFK. Like, <laughs> so if you ever see my hand up, it's because I'm on like the phone or something. 
Oh, it's like a it's like a hand up, like one moment. Yeah, exactly. Because in all its glory, the Trader Spaces didn't have an AFK like thing, like a symbol for that, <laughs> which is funny. My question is, because I remember you saying a while ago, you said, I don't have to work, but me and my wife work anyway, because that's what we do. And when I heard you talking about like the gym and these other projects, I'm very curious, like, do you not ever wake up in the morning and think like, God fucking damn. And then you're at work I'm sure people are really annoying. They're like smoking cigarettes and you're like, you need to stop or you're going to die. And they don't stop. Oh, yeah. Do you, why, always, why do you, there's always days. Why do you keep yeah. working? Yeah, there's always a day that like, you're like, why am I doing this? But at the same time, what the fuck are you going to do? You can sit around in the house, like looking at the ceiling. No. I mean, like, go how much shit on Netflix? Like, is no, dude, this is what I'm saying with like, I want five Billy, not because, not so I can sit around doing nothing, so I can like go on a yacht, go go on a boat. That shit gets old oh, really I'm, fast. Maybe I'm just a dork because I I've, I've used to live by the beach. Like my apartment was like right by the like ocean, and like the three years I lived there, I like practically never okay, went but to that's the beach. Not, so, but it's not, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> you could go rock climbing one day, and then you could go on the beach another. And then you could like play. You said you're a gamer. You could play video games. Like what? I don't understand. Listen, listen. I was I was actually listen. Uh, there was this. Person. Hold on. I've hold on. I've been raising my hand for like five hours. Sevi, I I wanna. I'm very oh. curious. So, take for example video gaming. Um, I used to really really enjoy video gaming as the gaming space sort of got built up, and you know, like. I used to be, I loved being at the top of the game in particular, like in a massive MMO, being in the top guild on the planet with like the highest level character in the world and all that shit. And like, that was really fun, but super addicting and extraordinarily time consuming. Like that was a couple of years of my life. I'm not getting back. And what happened to me having had that experience and I don't, like without having to do a whole space on, you know, MMOs and how it affects your brain to me, like. The best way to describe it would be imagine a football player in high school. You've heard of people that are like, oh, the star quarterback. And, you know, like, you know, afterwards, life is downhill from there because that glory day is never show up again. That euphoria of whatever. I felt that with video games after I was literally the top of the game for EverQuest. And afterwards, it was like, um, no matter what else I played, it was like either the game wasn't engaging enough, the group wasn't engaging enough on a team game because I was literally with the best people on the planet at the time. So it was like hard to beat that. It's like, it's like playing super getting to the super bowl and then like going back to throwing football in your backyard or something. It's just weird. So to me, some of it is like a lot of these secondary experiences, like going to lots of places. We did that a lot as a family, even as a kid, I have like had a pretty wide birth of experiences to where it's like, um, you know, like I've been on cruise liners and ships and yachts and whatever. And it's like, do I really want to own one fucking yacht? No, I don't. I don't want to deal with the mess of that. Like, do, and then like demons, like, do you want to own some property? I'm like, um, not really. I don't want to fuck with that either. I don't really want to spend the time on it. Okay, so like, you know, on, if I go on a trip this or is, something. This is I don't so you wake up in the morning and you're like, of all the places I want to be, I want to be in the hospital. Oh boy, more dying people for me to fix like that every day. It sounds fun. Well, I mean, it's like, 
it's it's immediately satisfying in the sense that like you're doing something useful. You don't have to look at yourself in the mirror and go, wait a minute, am I, am I, am I fucking pointless on this planet? You, you don't have to, you don't get that sense that quickly with that. Now, there is a certain futility to it. I agree with you, Zen. There's a lot of people that don't fucking listen to you. They die no matter what you say, whatever else, right? There's that, there's definitely that. So it's, you you can have days where you're like, why the fuck am I doing this? I get it. Like, God, why have, have that forsaken me or whatever that, you know, kind of concept is. So yeah, everyone has that for sure. But, you know, you need purpose in life. The net effect, but is, guys. Yeah, net effect. Is it about my experience is with this, work? Hold on, wait, wait, just one second. Like, it's like cool to open up the conversation, but just one second, because I'm still, I, I'm like trying to get to the root of something here. I'm curious about. So you, you, what, what was that? Do you just not have a like hedonic treadmill? Do, is this about how you were raised, or? I'm not sure. Like, here's the thing. Like. Like, could I go out and buy a fancy car today? Like, my son's like, hey, the new McLaren, you know, supercar is going to come out in like, you know, he loves McLaren and shit. And he's like, the new supercar is going to come out. I'm like, what is it going to cost? He's like, oh, probably north of two mil. He's like, you should get one. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with that thing? Like, you know, like, I don't really, I don't want to sit there and fucking wash that thing and worry about scratches and whatever the fuck else. So like, you know, there's certain things that like, you know, maybe I'm just a low maintenance guy generally. Um, and here's the thing, like Zen, like if you've ever had like time to go on trips and things, and you've gone on a trip for like a month or something. Eventually, you're like, um, I think I want to go home. You know, some people want to travel forever. Like if they have the money, they'll just keep on going. And then other people, it's like, well, there's a limit to that, and you're like, okay, I'm bored of hopping hotels and whatever. I'd rather go back to the stability of my normal life. And so it's it's like that. I mean. You don't always have to have something around the corner that you're doing entertaining. So if if I just uh, we're wrapping up here, I'm still curious. I still feel like I don't know what the right question to ask is, but maybe I need to think on that. But if, last question, if I gave you five billion right now, you'd wake up tomorrow and you you'd say of all the I can do anything in the world. I want to go to the hospital. No, if I had if I decided like I was going to use a lot of capital. I would probably start some gigantic project. Okay. Um, okay. Like building a fucking Disneyland or something like that. Like something, I like architecture. I like design and things, but at the same time, um, you know, like, yeah, but, but the kind the scale of money it would take to build the kind of things I'd be interested in would be sort of obnoxious. And so, yeah, if it was like a lottery winning, I'm like, Oh, I've got this and you know, I'm going to go do something. I might do something like that. Um, but it's not it's not something like, you're building towards. It's just like in case someone gives the, me five billy. Yeah, because here's the thing, Zim. Like if I just wanted to travel the earth, um, how much money does that take? Like it doesn't take that much. I have enough to basically say, OK, just the dividends alone, I can travel the earth forever, like till the day I'm dead. I can just literally do just roam and, you know, eat in different restaurants and go to different Ooh, towns geez. or whatever. Like, so why don't you just go retire? What's that? So why do you just go and retire instead of going to work every single day if you have enough money from just dividends? Like, why work? Because, like, I don't know. Like, why did I start going to – why did I go to medical school and start in the first place? Like, I suppose I could have sat Ask on every millionaire and billionaire. Uh, Elon Musk works, like, 20 hours a day. He's the richest man in the world. You get bored really fucking fast. Traveling is fun, but like Seth said, you kind of want to go home and it's once you start seeing there's exotic places, right? So beaches in Greece on the 
Greek islands, you know, are really gorgeous. There's parts of Thailand that are like really fucking gorgeous. I got a beach house and part of my business is in Costa Rica um, on the Caribbean side. Like that's gorgeous. But once you start getting around to all these different places, they kind there there's only so gorgeous you can get and things that you've seen. And you just get fucking bored out of your mind. Not only that, but it can be it can be mentally taxing to do a lot of traveling too. I think because uh, you got to like oh. I think it's all a question of what is like work for you. What what is like the definition of work for you? You know what I mean? Can can, can I just say this real quick? I, I just want to I just want to put this out here. Uh, everyone should realize that it takes a special type of person to do nothing. Like that that is a that is a discipline to do nothing. That is like, true. Do, so That's so for everyone true. that wants to sit around and be like, oh, I'm just going to do nothing. Why don't you go try it? Why don't you go try to do nothing and then have to spend time with your? I love it. Yeah, I, I, love I understand it. that, but I'm. I'm okay. The point that I'm making is, is that go spend time with your ego. Go spend time with yourself and then see how see how welcomed you feel. A lot of people don't want to do that, and it's not personal, but you know the monks are sitting on the hill because it's hard to do. It's not easy to do nothing. So. Even, yeah, it gets you depressed. Have you ever? Why do people work? So they so they don't have to do nothing because they don't want to do nothing because doing nothing is uncomfortable. And that's the truth. Oh, no, it makes you I, old I agree as with well. You, right? If you stop working, you age so fast. So my my advice to everyone gray. is, uh, just like Zen said or whatever, is uh, do what you feel provides value to yourself and to others, but. Uh, the 2020 thing I was watching was a old NBA player who had millions and millions of dollars and he's a crossing guard. Can and I just say like, something quickly, guys? My kid drama, yeah, yeah. I'm going to watch it. Please. Which one are you watching? <laughs> diva. <laughs> Get away, Diva. So Wait, guys, listen can't... to me. I tried that. I really, really fucking love to experiment, right? So I really did that. I was like, I'm going to not do nothing this month, you know, and I can do that. I can be like the whole day alone, you know, but I can even like stay like for hours, not doing anything like just, you know, in my mind, because I don't know, like I could like write for hours because I love writing and everything. But when we talk about work, we have really to define what is work. If you do something you don't really like, you're going to feel like I'm going to work. Or if you do something that you even like, you like your job, it, it's still going to feel like work for you. But if you do something that is like a hobby for you, you know, for example, since I was like a kid, I always wanted to work in a hospital, you know what I mean? And I was always like have that interest. I, I used it to watch like the doctors, you know, that TV show. And I was like... I don't know, I was like maybe 14, 15 years old and it was started, you know, to write what they are saying and everything. It's it's just fun, you know what I mean? It's fun to go there to do that. It's fun to... He fell in love with George Clooney or some shit and then we decided to go to the medical field. Bro, listen to me, listen. I, 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 there I, are I, I so love, many hot I love that, doctors. Um, I worked like in a hospital or like for people who like had an accident or something and you guys, you can see like people who come like everything is broken. Their arms are broken, their legs are broken, you know what I mean? And you like going with them in the process. It's just fucking amazing to see that, you know? It's just, it's just so fucking fun, you know? 
Wait, wait, before you leave, the K-dramas, I get it. They're like, okay, but have you gotten on to the Chinese palace dramas? My wife's moved on to that shit. You need to send me something. Oh my God. She messaged me. She messaged me yesterday and she's at work and I'm like, why don't you just finish work and come home? And she messages me and she's like, uh, send me the Hulu username and password. I'm like, what in the fuck do you need that for now? It's like, oh, because I'm going to go start watching this fucking thing at work. And I'm like, why don't you just go do work and leave? Like, what's, why do you have to watch Chinese dramas on Hulu or whatever over there? Bro, so she already no finished all the sassy. ones on Netflix. She already finished the ones on fucking Amazon. And now she's already moving on to like the next thing. It's like, bro, I just, Jesus Christ. I just feel it's crying Chinese. like because two teenagers just broke up. So <laughs> it's, yeah, but why pump? Yeah, I mean, like, I, that was my, K-dramas were my, like, uh, what is it called? Transition drug? What is it? What do people call marijuana? It was my marijuana. It's like the fucking Hallmark, yeah. it's the Hallmark channel online, but for Asians. No, it's shit. like, like, the K-dramas, it's like a transition zone into the real shit. Like, the real cocaine of dramas. Chinese palace dramas. It's a bunch of fucking empresses and it's like, we need to stop being courtesans and get to the top. What do we have to do? All the girls are fighting against each other. It's like cat fighting on steroids, chess, 4D shit. Okay. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna send you <laughs> my favorite you. Chinese you're, palace you're, drama. You don't need a lot of money to watch you. that. You don't need a lot of money to watch that. See, the best things in life are free. Or Hulu subscription. Well, Look, you know what I think? Just do whatever the fuck you want. I, I, this is what I always yeah. tell myself. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I say like, uh, for example, I don't work like 100%. I don't, you know, when I think like, okay, I need some space, I need some time, I go to my boss and say, yo, uh, I, I'm, uh, I just decided to work this month only 50% or 70% or 80%. You know what I mean? I just like, uh, I just need that, that feeling that I have my freedom. When I feel like my freedom is a bit gone, I like uh, try to do something, you know, to get it back. Uh, it's all about balance, you know? It's not about work. Yeah, there's a balance between. Yeah, yeah we, I agree. Like, there's a balance. If you go too far, it's like you don't feel free. So long as you're what you're doing, you still have a sense of freedom. Like, if I didn't, if I didn't want to do this, I wouldn't have to. That's a freedom. Or if, like, today I don't want to do this, I don't have to. That's a type of freedom. I can call my partner and say, oh, by the way, can you take over today? I got to go do something. I, I want to go for a drive today or something. Um, so there's also different levels of freedom. And if you go to work and the people that are there are like nice, like you like your colleagues and your friends there, that's a type of freedom versus like going to a place where like the people are dog shit, which is a, it doesn't feel very good. Right. So that matters, too. I use it to get like, I'm know, the complete really opposite like of all of you. I do nothing. I do absolutely nothing. A lot. And I love doing nothing. That's okay. You know what I mean? As soon as I mean, you're doing what you want, like, that's, just, that's, that's the keys. You know what I, I mean, mean? That's exactly what... I'm like the so best... But, but when you define I'm as the best nothing, neighbor are you like staring like Steffi, at a wall? Because it'd be like, oh, Steffi wants to go out and, you know, walk 10 miles right now? Yeah, no problem. I got nothing going on. I'm like the best friend because I always got nothing going on. That's and nice. That's because it's your lifestyle, bro. I, I really respect I that. I mean, I everybody has like his mindset on. about life and what they want to do and what they want to do. You know what I mean? No, but it's I hard. respect that. If you sit somebody in a room and you're like, hey, sit still for 24 hours and don't touch your cell phone, go do it. Go it's try. Hard. 
And it's hard. I can't do it. I can do it. I don't care. Dude, I have a question for you. Like, are you the big boy crypto guy? You know, you exactly sound like me. <laughs> no, I'm not a bit boy crypto guy. No, no, no. Tate is uh, bit boy. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I, bit boy. Thanks for coming to our program here. Or whatever. Did our, you see my fight? Did you see my fight earlier? I did. I did. It was like you whipped his that dude's ass. I don't even know who he yeah, was. Yeah, I but crushed he, him. He crushed his ass. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it, it's uh, I I don't understand how people can work hyper productive lives. Like for me, it's just it it just blows my sensories out of the water. I see some people and they're like having so much going on and I'm just like, okay, that's not for me. And I just patiently, I just quietly walk out of the room like, see ya, you know, it's admirable, but it's also hard for people to do nothing. I really understand what you mean. Uh, I think Betty doesn't really mean like, you know, we should work or anything. He just means like, um, like, is it, is it easy? Is it like something anyone can do, like not doing like nothing? I, I really agree with you. Like doing nothing, it's not easy for anyone. Like someone sometimes, you know, you just sit down and it's like silence. You start like playing music or like touching your phone or anything because you can just like face yourself. I, I agree with you with that. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a, um, but you know, I sp I've spent a lot of time being a professional too. So, uh, it's a, it's hard to keep, when, you know, what's, maybe if you find a profession where, like, if you were in medical, where you're offering so much value to the world outside of just money, it's almost like a duty, like a, like a soldier. Yeah, there's that um, too. Like, I have a sense you of know, duty too as well. Like, I met, a, I met this doctor who, uh, I live on the East Coast, so I live around a lot of, I guess you could say, well-renowned hospitals. And he was one of the few surgeons who did open heart surgery on premature babies. So he was like, you know, doing open heart surgeries on babies the size of like, I don't know, you get it, five inches. And yeah, there's there's certain things that only a very few people, even in the subset of like, say, doctors or surgeons, that they do that. Yeah. So it's like you do have a duty. And he would never retire. He told because me that. if you don't do it, then you like no one else is there to take your place. Yeah. And people are going to literally die um, is kind of the, the problem. We have a surgeon locally that died recently who is a neurosurgeon, and he quite literally died. He, he actually had both, a, a, like, I guess a stroke, I think, um, that affected from for a little while. And he had a, um, like, a cancer problem that he developed. And he quite literally operated on and, di and did surgeries till pretty much, like, within weeks of his death. Um, knowing full well he has terminal disease too, so hats off yeah, to that. And, and and the guy had all the things you'd want in life. He had plenty of money. He had like a neat little Mercedes or some shit, you know, whatever. He had you know everyone buys something for fun, like you know whatever. He had a nice house, this that and other thing. But he didn't go like completely crazy buying shit and traveling and whatever. I mean, for how much money he probably has, the the few things he has is probably an inkling of that and. He might have like donated a lot of that to different causes and whatever, um, at you know upon his death as well. So there was a there's another local neurosurgeon I remember like who passed away like maybe 15 years ago or something like that. And I remember this guy. He lives not too far away, and he he basically had a um, he used to collect a lot of Asian art, like 
Chinese art and Indian art and these types of things. Like you'd go to different places and collect them. Um, and he just enjoyed collecting like, you know, true historic art pieces and whatever. And when he finally died, he actually donated the entire thing to the town, I guess, museum type of thing and enough money to sort of like display all those things so that people can enjoy them from, you know, from then on, which is pretty cool. Right. Like, so people like just because you're working doesn't mean you have like other hobbies and things that aren't interesting and that you can contribute to the world and you know how you like bring joy to other people and stuff like that so it just depends on what you like um out of life yeah There's this principle in like Taoism. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, like just inevitably it kind of starts to happen. There's this principle in like Taoism where it's like the more you fight something, the more like the opposite of what you want, inevitably it kind of starts to happen. Tripping on the third app, listening to nerds slap, wondering why the fuck my timeline's so cursed. It's like everybody's holding heavy bags in Web3. That's why they can't fly, they just drowning in the bird bath, fishing for some dry powder. Watch how we ignite the tower, blowing up their bank accounts, forgetting how to fight the power. Y'all don't even realize how deep this shit goes. They preach an open sauce, but don't listen to the code, and now it's mutiny community uprise. There's no more humility, futility, plus size. Motherfuckers leaking from the wrench down to the bare metal. Which side the line you bleeding out on when the dust settles? Motherfucking west side shit, needle and noose. Sticking with my armory, yam, beta, and bruise. Repping psychedelic artistry, believing the truth. Like these motherfuckers even need a reason to sue? GM fam. Really worth all the effort? Is it really worth all the fighting? They started using Zoom, now we finna zoom out Teaching all these plebidites what this game's really all about Little baby bitches when they choose to have fits All you're left with is kibble when you lose all them bits And that kibble's just sawdust, this shit is all rust Not a great look, you're what we'd call all nuts And I for one did not see that coming Cracking open books, yo, that's a lot of money Meanwhile over here rewiring features More critical thinking, huh? Less knee-jerk, more evolution, less shitcoin preachers Pretending to be teachers, y'all just predatory leeches I mean, please, just look at the track record A bunch of VC rat fucks sucking up the cheddar The recipe is two steps, rinse and repeat Now we all in your butts, and we bring in receipts GM fam, have a seat If you're listening to this, my, my plea to you would be like don't have, don't, don't have to take a side on it Just say like, is it really, really worth this war of attrition? It might cost, it might cost us, us a lot more than, than what can be gained game. by like fighting this to the better end. And sometimes it's better to just like move on. Ten spaces.